I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of September 2022, which means is our anniversary month, which means is also Masterclass Month. Uh, essentially what that means is uh, we'll be doing a deep dive on a wide-spanning uh, media franchise or film franchise. And uh, as it so happens, both Kyle and I have got a whole lot of real-life shit going on this month. So we're taking it easy, taking a look at a franchise that is not super important to either of us, but has a fuck ton of movies. So there's not a shortage of material to cover. So we'll be talking about the X-Men's, the X-Men film franchise or at least the first four films from that series and if, if you hadn't noticed at the very beginning kyle did in fact appear on the mic this week uh so i guess you've resolved your uh, gremlin situation is that correct sir sure did uh got my gremlin situation taken care of i need a new blender i can tell you that much but uh yeah gremlins are out <laughs> good to know sir yeah folks at home if you're not aware uh i was forced uh, to do a uh, podcast recording, a review of X2, X-Men United. With Nick. Uh, with yeah, Kyle's brother, Nick. <laughs> the way you framed that was so good. I was forced to speak with this man, Nick, uh, Kyle's brother, because Kyle was indisposed. He was doing battle with uh, gremlins, which, of course, were spawned by his own doing. Uh, he decided to have a hot tub party after midnight with a bucket of KFC and some Mogwai buddies, and sure enough... Gremlins. Yeah, well, the funny thing is is that I sent one to Nick, and... And Nick's fucking dead. Uh, so... <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna be hearing from him for a while uh, until I raise him from the dead, so... Oh, well, hopefully he has an Amazon Prime account, and he can get a blender or something, or a, or a microwave or something to do battle with the Gremlins with. I mean, I, you did it. I believe he can, too. I think he bears arms, so I think he's set. Um... Oh, yeah, there oh, we go. He's he's he is very fine. Yeah, he's, <laughs> He'll he's be good. just fine. Yeah. Nah. Uh, so last week, as I said, uh, we covered X2 X-Men United, uh, directed by <laughs> Ryan Singer. Uh, <laughs> we're all, of course, uh, full disclosure, we are all keenly aware that Brian Singer is a terrible human being. Uh, so any compliments paid to that production, uh, you could go ahead and direct those towards the film itself rather than the man who sat in the director's chair i guess mm -hmm. um but all that aside x2 x-men united is generally thought of as one of the better x-men films that exists um which brings us to this week wherein we'll be talking about x-men colon the last stand aka x-men 3 from the year 2006 uh directed by Brett Ratner, <laughs> who, again, full disclosure, we also have to yeah. <laughs> comment, is also a terrible human being. Yeah, you know when I when I pitched this one to you, I had no idea about the directors. I just I want to say that up at the top, and Trevor was the one who said, "Yeah, let's do the X Men movies." So this is your fault. <laughs> hey, motherfucker, you were the one who picked Jeepers Creepers like last year or whatever. So and I think there I picked, is precedent. I think I picked the Ninth Gate as well. So yeah, my track record isn't all that great. Yeah, Kyle, <laughs> your track record is not all that great. Yeah. Uh, but as I said, any compliments that we pay to these productions should be directed towards 
you know, the, the larger crew, the, the production itself, rather than... Everybody else involved with the production, except for the director. And you know what? And the director's chair. I'm, I'm not even going to throw it out for the director's chair. <laughs> good, it was a good chair. Very solid. A lot of integrity. I like him. But yeah, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, uh, Brian Singer, uh, who has directed the majority of the X-Men franchise uh, is a terrible human being. Um, I've, I have done my research. You can too, uh, because I just don't have the time or the energy to get into it on the mic. I'm just making it known that I'm aware of this. And also, uh, it's kind of awful when you think about it that we bounce from that fella directly into Brett Ratner, who is also a convert, like, as far as I understand, at, still alleged, I think, but, you know... It, it, it doesn't really matter. Brett Ratner's a shit heel. Um, again, I did my research. Again, you can too. Yeah, we went from a bag of shit to a shit bag. Pretty much. Like, like really, it, it it's not good any way you slice it. But thankfully, as far as I understand, those two individuals are the last of the problematic directors of the problematic X-Men franchise. Um, next week, as far as I understand, um, the director of X-Men Origins, Wolverine, is a fine guy he's just not that great of a filmmaker uh, so uh, that that's a step up in in many many ways but uh this film uh x-men the last stand is often regarded as one of the lesser x-men films so we bounce from potentially the highest of highs to one of the lowest of lows um which is not a surprise being as um brett ratner uh folks at home if you're not aware has often been my go-to example for just kind of vanilla or, or milk toast cinema. Like if I if I want to call a film bleh, I I say as directed by Brett Ratner or something. Like he's he is a punchline to a joke that I make very commonly. Um, so it's no surprise that this film is as mediocre as it is. But um, Kyle, uh, mm. this one dropped in two thousand and six. Yeah. Um, do you have any familiarity with the film, like from around the time it actually dropped? Uh, no, th- this just appeared in our house on DVD. I don't know who bought it. It, it just it was there. Uh, I think my my folks they were going. My dad was working at an auction at the time. He still works for the auction on the weekends, and I think they just got like a box of D- we we would just get boxes of like VHS and DVDs. And I think this might have just been in one of those boxes. Maybe like a, a video store closing down. Um, so we just had it. I've seen this one the most, uh, and I was thinking back to this era, which basically 2000 2002 to 2008 just really sucked my ass like it was just a terrible time however 2006 summer 2006 not bad for Kyle that was that was an okay time it wasn't too bad uh, so I think higher of this movie than the other two uh, just because of that but uh, yeah I don't know anything surrounding the film at the time that's fair and and in fact uh, Nick actually did mention that little detail about uh, your your father's association with the auction house um, he said that was how you guys came to possess uh, X2 which he said you guys watched a lot or at least yeah. he did uh, yeah um, we he did. didn't mention this one though oh this one we watched this one a lot I remember this one more than the second one yeah as for myself uh, this movie I, I have just like I don't I don't have the the family connection like you do with the auction house and whatnot but I do have a funny a funny little story I think it's funny mm-hmm. um, this movie came out when I was uh, in I think at the end or the it was the end of my first year of college or the beginning of my second 
Um, and I pirated this film via the school network. Oh, nice! Um, and I had I had a uh, RA uh, get on my case about it, and I dummied up and pretended like, "Oh no, I totally didn't download X Men: The Last Stand. Somebody in the dorm did. Totally wasn't me. I don't know who it could have been." That's illegal. What you are doing is illegal. Uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, that is one of Kyle's favorite quotes uh-huh. from Weekend at Bernie's. That's mm-hmm. um, a fun little bit of like ADR dialogue from a, a yuck toy do on a yacht or some shit. That was the one ADR they got right. It's really good and it's a really funny <laughs> delivery. Yeah, that movie is like 90% ADR. <laughs> it's so bad. Yeah. Well, in that case, it actually makes it funnier because you can hear him crystal clear and he's doing like a, a, a finger wag. sailor man thing. Mm-hmm. He's doing the finger wag and like the lip, his mouth probably wasn't even moving on set, but they just laid that audio on top of it to make a, a comedic beat. And it's a wonderful line. You, you taught it to me. I've seen the movie, but I didn't retain it like you did. That's so um, good. Yeah, good quote. I'm, I'm, that's one that deserves to be on the soundboard, by the way. Um, <laughs> so uh, Murdoch... Uh, the RA, uh, if you're out there, like if there's any chance that you're hearing this, it was me, Austin. <laughs> it was me the whole time. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's how I saw this movie. I did not pay it for a ticket like in my early college days. I couldn't afford a ticket. <laughs> uh, so I used the uh, the school network, um, you know, BitTorrent, man. It was It was the style at the time. Uh, and that's how I watched this movie. I thought it was the like I, I just kind of glossed over it. And I think uh, I think just the timing of the release was really poor for the franchise. Like this movie did make, make quite a lot of money. It did very well, actually, in terms of box office numbers, in terms of critical acclaim. No, it didn't get there. But in terms of box office, people did show the fuck up. Um, but in my mind, just the timing felt really kind of late, I guess. Like, each of these movies had, like, a three-year production cycle, Mm. which is pretty normal. Like, that's incredibly normal um, for, you know, the the times, or at least, like, the earlier eras of, you know, sequel and franchise management. Um, But we had had so much in in the intervening years. Like, we had had, I think, a couple of Spider-Man films. Spider-Man 3 was looming on the horizon. I think we had the entire Lord of the Rings and Matrix trilogies. We, we had some big... Oh, yeah, fucking Star Wars, by the way. Like, we were just getting blasted over the head every every other week with, with massive sequels in the theaters from year to year. So this one, for me, just, like, if you put it side by side with any of those other, like, number three movies out there, like any of those other major franchise number threes that were coming out around the same time... It just looked lame. Like it just did not look as promising as any of those, just in terms of marketing and whatnot. Um, so I, I had almost no hype going into this one, um, and sure enough, it didn't really deliver um, when I did get around to watching it. These days, I'm a, I'm actually a little kinder to this movie than I was when I was, you know, 19 or whatever. Um, I think it's it's pretty middle of the road, mediocre entertainment. It's very watchable. I will give it that much. Um, but uh, I was telling Kyle uh, before we uh, hopped on the mics here that uh, the the road to the last stand is probably far more interesting than the movie itself. So um, forgive me if I front load the episode like I always do. But uh, some of this stuff I found to be very fascinating. Um, 
first point is of course the uh, the director um, so we do have Brett Ratner in the director's seat however as far as I understand in all the research I did I don't think he was anyone's choice like I think he was just the last man standing like this was a case where literally everyone else courted by the studio was busy and also Hugh Jackman had accumulated enough power in Hollywood that he had final say in who would who would direct the film um so i'm actually going to toss out some names here some really big fucking names kyle and i'm curious what your reaction to some of these names are as as far as like potential other directors so the obvious first one is brian singer Mm -hmm. uh, who had directed the previous two x-men films and had done a very good job with both of them um however he left the production like because he had no intention of making this film he would happily set it up for them by completing x2 but uh he would move on to direct superman returns um and take james marsden aka cyclops with him um as well as the writing team which i think is maybe one of the biggest knocks on this film is the the writing is nowhere near as sharp uh, as those first two movies the dialogue in particular structurally fine dialogue is like uh this is like super just like get it done kind of dialogue like there's no personality or, or oomph to any of the lines so uh let's start with the uh the the newcomers though so kyle darren aronofsky oh really <laughs> yeah i don't know man i don't think the tone would be right ah uh, yeah i i don't know i mean I would, I would absolutely watch that. I'm gonna watch this new movie with starring Brendan Fraser, uh, which apparently is really good. Um, but yeah, Darren Aronofsky, that is interesting. It would be, it would have a dark ending. I can tell you that much. <laughs> if I can tell you anything about an Aronofsky film, is you are gonna get out the other side uh, needing a shower. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's gonna be brutal. <laughs> Okay, thanks for that. Uh, uh, the Whale, by the way, is the name of that mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser movie. Stoked. Um, I think uh, my brother, Matt, I think that's one of his most anticipated and has been for a long time because it's been talked about for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, me too. I'm really excited for that one. But Aronofsky had just finished The Fountain, and mm. which, as far as I know, Hugh Jackman is in. Um, so Jackman kind of lobbied for him, but the scheduling didn't work out as far as I know. Um, here's another name for you, Kyle. Okay. Alex Proyas. Now you'll have to tell me what else he has directed. Okay, well, um, The Crow is probably his earliest, most notable film. But okay. Dark City is also another big one. Okay. Uh, some people like iRobot. Um, I do. I thought it was, I thought it was fine. I didn't have any problems with it. I just don't, I didn't retain any of it. We still get some funny Will Smith in there. Yeah, he, he's got some personality in there. Um, but uh, putting putting aside the fact that his career has kind of, mm-hmm. as of late, uh, he did Knowing with Nick Cage and then Gods mm. of Egypt, uh, which is a, a fucking train wreck of a film that I actually desperately want to see because mm. I have heard some shit. Um, but Alex Proyas, uh, any, any thoughts on him if, were he to, to direct this film or at least an X-Men film? I really like Dark City. I think it is very... It's aesthetically pleasing for me. Uh, the story is meh. It's fine. Uh, it's more of like the first... It's like the uh, David Lynch Dune movie. It's like, 
I'm not really engaged with the story. I just want to kind of see the art on the screen. Uh, Crow is a bit of a cooler story, uh, and I, I do very much enjoy the Crow. Good stuff. But that's kind of it for him. I don't really know if he would have had enough water left in the sponge to actually get this done. I don't think he knows how to manage actors very well. Um, like you said, it's he's more of an aesthetic director. Mm-hmm. Like He knows how to put nice images on the screen. Um, he knows how to give Kiefer Sutherland all the slack in the world to put on a crazy performance. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but beyond that, I don't know if he's a good director of actors. Um, and X-Men kind of requires that. Like X-Men it always is going to have a sprawling cast and is always going to attract big name stars and whatnot, some of whom may or may not be difficult to manage. I don't know. I haven't heard as such. Um, But point is, it would probably look nice, but I don't think it would have any sort of emotional resonance or anything Um, or or tell a clean, straightforward story for that matter. But um, here's another one for you. Okay. Zack Snyder. For some reason, I knew that he would be in this list. Um, the other person I thought you might mention is J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams. Um, but yeah, Zack Snyder, this is his wheelhouse. And I think he could probably pull it off. It would be an hour and a half longer. It would be... Yeah. <laughs> it would be... I think it'd be dull. Like, it wouldn't be... It, it would just be... Yeah, I feel like it's his wheelhouse. He could have given us something interesting... But I'm kind of glad that he didn't get anywhere near it because, again, this would be fucking Titanic length, a Titanic length movie. Yeah, he doesn't know how to make short. Brevity is not in his vocabulary, <laughs> but um, I I, I kind of disagree with this being in his wheelhouse because he does get pointed to as like the superhero guy, but like he he does a particular lane of superhero stories where it's like exceptional like titans among humanity where it's like the the people who stand out from all the others and the x-men have that but they're also underdogs like the x-men are consistently oppressed and othered like they are powerful but not socially i guess Mm. culturally um and I feel like he, he would struggle with that kind of material. I feel like he might be able to do a good Magneto story or a good uh-huh. Apocalypse story, like centering on an exceptional being from their perspective or something. Um, but like a ragtag group of, you know, children with superpowers, and that doesn't seem quite his, his jam. But uh, here's another one for you, Kyle. Uh, Peter Berg. Fucking smoking, smoking aces Boston, dude. <laughs> I mean, he was in the cast of that film. He didn't direct it. Well, I know he didn't correct? direct it, but yeah, the Boston guy. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of his his shtick. Is he he is Boston man? This would have been it would have been awful. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> From the yeah, I, I I don't know what what he possibly could have done with an X Men film. It just doesn't compute in my mind. He did direct a really cool uh, commercial. I think it aired at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. But it had all like these old retired NFL players and a bunch of new players. It was it's a really funny commercial if you can look it up. Uh, but that's his best work I think that I've seen. Is that the the wrestling at the banquet or whatever? Yeah, it's, the, it's the banquet one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I know that one. That one's actually very good. It's very good. Uh, he's. I don't think he's a bad filmmaker, but he has a lot of tendencies that I I just 
can't see applying to to this particular franchise. Well, honestly, so that 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 ad was pretty cool, but the highlight of it is Peyton Manning and Peyton Manning needs no director. Like he's just a funny dude. Like so it, he is. Uh, he he just has an affable goofball quality to him. His uh he ends up throwing the football. <laughs> he ends up throwing the pass. And he's like, "Oh man, that was a really good throw." And he's just like rubbing his shoulders like, "That hurt." <laughs> just, <it's a> little, <laughs> <laughs> it's really great. That's cute. Yeah, it um, is kind of cute that uh Ben Foster would go on to work with with him in uh I think what was it? Lone Survivor, uh, probably a couple other films as well, but uh, Connections, Revolutions. Revolutions. Uh, okay, last one, Kyle, I swear. Um, it's a big one, though. Uh, Guillermo del Toro. Ooh! If you're going to put Guillermo del Toro's name into anything, I'm I'm immediately like, okay, yeah, I just want to see that. I will definitely watch that. Um, I think there were, he was, maybe he was um, approached or maybe there was even planning of him doing Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit movies. Um, if he just did Guillermo del Toro's The Hobbit, he could still do that now. You can totally touch that that uh, group of movies. Like, yeah, you can totally remake those. I'm fine with that. Just give me one Hobbit movie directed by Guillermo del Toro, two and a half hours long, done. Do it while Andy Zirkus is still around, too. Make it happen, New Line. I mean, I would totally watch that, and I'm not even a huge fan of of the Lord of the Rings franchise, but yeah, I would totally sign up for that. I mean, if it's got if it's got Del Toro's name on it, I'm at least interested. Mm-hmm. Um, only weird thing about this for me, because I know it would be good. Like he he generally doesn't make bad films. Like at the very least, they're gorgeous to look at, and they're a lot stronger with their themes than this movie is. <laughs> um, so that would be a, a bonus point. Um, the weird thing for me is actually it wouldn't feel right for me to have him come in to direct the last chapter of a trilogy. Like, it's got to be his. It would be totally different. It, it's interesting that Blade 2 is... It's it's a good continuation. It's, a, it's, it's fascinating because it feels like the sequel. It doesn't feel off. But it's still his. Like, there's definitely... He's all over it. Like, you can see this is a Guillermo del Toro movie. So I think that it would be weird for him to do the third movie, but I think it would. I think he could get the continuity. I think he would like. Yes, this feels like the third movie, but it's also his movie, if that makes sense. Okay. No, I I see where you're coming from, and thank you for reinforcing that because folks at home, if you're not aware, he did direct the middle chapter of a trilogy, mm-hmm. um, and it did work. In fact, it's, it's probably the- easily. It's probably the best number. It's, it's probably the best Blade film. It's one of the best vampire movies, uh, period. Um, I was going to say something else about Guillermo del Toro. I'm like, from this era, like I actually would not have wanted him to do the third X-Men movie because he was busy doing the first two Hellboy movies. And I those movies, I watched them for the first time like sitting down. Those movies are probably one of the very few things from this decade from this this time that actually holds up both of those movies are great like i really enjoy both of those they're fantastic they're really uh, the good. second one in particular if you ask me um there's there's something about like the novelty factor of having the quote freaks the freaks in the cast actually be the main characters that are that are in literally every scene of the movie because mm-hmm. nor- like the first movie it's well it's well understood that the the 
the the white guy, the generic white guy, the the FBI agent or whatever who joins the BPRD is he's like a production insert character. Mm-hmm. Like the studio kind of mandated him be there to be the fish out of water to have exposition thrown at him so the ch- people in the cheap seats can can keep up. Um, but when you get to the second one, he's written out. He's in like a a fucking igloo or some shit like he's been kicked to iceland or some shit he got sergeant bill code um and it's just all hellboy and his people the ape sapien and hellboy the whole time and it's kind of amazing that it's that kind of story and then the closing shot of that movie is ballsy as all get out but i i adore it i think it's hilarious do you know what i'm talking about uh-uh. i think it's a uh, selma blair tells him that she's pregnant and then it's a freeze frame of him smiling with like a sappy, sappy like oldie love song playing over it, and then snap to credits. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't remember that part. Um, but yeah, I think so. That was so Guillermo was the last director you were gonna bring up. I think that's the last one. Yeah. Okay, so uh, in order, I'm just gonna give you my top three. I think number one, Guillermo. I, that would have been a fun X Men movie. Number two, Darren Aronofsky, because I would just be so curious to see how he captures the tone. And it, he, if he did the third one, it would be a completely different. It would be like, whoa, this is a different, whole different thing that we're doing here with the third one. And then I guess last would be I just to see what Zack Snyder's X Men would be. It probably wouldn't be that great, but. It would be way too long, but at least I would just watch it. I think that's very fair. And uh, two two small like details. Uh, one, I did leave out a director, but there's a good reason for that. Uh, Matthew Vaughn, um, because the reason I didn't even toss him out there is because he ends up directing First Class several years later. Um, but he was in line to direct this film. Didn't work out. Um, and the other one is... Um, it, I'm fairly certain Guillermo del Toro would have cast Ron Perlman as Beast. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. It doesn't get any easier than that. Trevor, I've never been more sure of anything in my entire life. Ron Perlman would be Beast. That's like the easiest bet ever. But and it would have been great. He would have been great as Beast. He would have been great. Although I do think Kelsey Grammer does just fine with the material. Oh, for sure. Um, but Ron Perlman would he would have been just great as well. But um. Yeah, all of that nonsense. Um, basically, all those extraordinarily talented directors who went on to have extraordinary careers and continue to put in extraordinary work. Um, after all that, once the dust settled, we ended up on old Brett's fucking front stoop. Yeah. Um, so he was, as far as I understand, I don't think anybody had real enthusiasm to put him in the director's chair. Um, but the production history for this film was kind of messy man like like very similar to the first x-men movie uh they the studio really put the pedal to the metal and said we got to fast track this movie um we need to get this done right fucking now so like a lot of effects work like a lot of things that you would normally work out with your director or something was being done before they even knew who was actually making the fucking film um and the reason why I'm actually spotlighting this this funny little detail here is because my gut kind of tells me that the like this the making of like this kind of movie is eerily similar to like the environment we exist in now with the MCU movies. 
where it's a well-oiled machine where this this is an example of kind of doing it wrong like very haphazardly just like spur of the moment where the reason you're making these like choices like these decisions as a studio is because you're trying to hurry and you're you're getting ahead of your skis or something um but with mcu it's like it's a well-oiled machine that just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling but um the important detail that I wanted to share here was that uh, Kevin Feige, uh, the executive producer, kind of in charge of all the MCU films, uh, I haven't mentioned it until just now, but uh, he actually is involved in the production of all these X-Men films. And I can't help but think that lessons were learned and retained and applied uh, to future productions. Um, because we, we see exactly this sort of problem happening with MCU movies all the time. Only difference is they very seldom seem to suffer as a result of it. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Eternals, so I can't really, I can't really argue with that. Uh, Eternals, I didn't think was very good. Nobody I'll did. Just leave it at that. Some people think it's brilliant. Some people think it's the most gorgeous fucking film that's ever been made. I thought it was. It, it is what it is. Uh, before we jump into the movie, I just got to say I still have not jumped into the uh, Rings of Power show. But that oh. show very much highlighted uh, that the Tolkien and Lord of the Rings fan base are a bit racist and pieces of shit. So I was like, come on, we're not going to be a toxic fan base, are we? Like, no, no, it's it's there. So fucking assholes. Oh, are, are people yelling about different, oh, different colored elves and whatnot? What you would think from any property that's being touched by somebody that's not adored by the fan base uh, but it's also highlighting some pieces of shit uh, as well. I'm sure that there. Well, I know are... there's a tick. I know there's a TikToker out there who was keen to point out that hey, you know, if you actually read the text, it is mentioned that some people are of different pigmentation levels than others. Mm-hmm. Like, like it isn't a purely white landscape in Middle Earth. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the way they want it. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, yeah but anyway um did you have anything else you wanted to put up here at the top you want to run through the cast uh, do we have any i mean who else do we have that's an addition i think besides ben foster who isn't really a character uh i think the most the only one that really matters is uh kelsey Grammer. i would say yeah he's probably the biggest in terms of like dialogue offered and characterization present in the film uh so kelsey Grammer is here as dr hank mccoy uh, who d- actually did have a cameo in X2. Uh, not Kelsey Grammer, but the character, Hank McCoy, mm. is featured on a television screen uh, during the bar scene where uh, Mystique seduces the security guard. Oh, God, um, yeah. That's great. <laughs> lovely scene, lovely scene. Love it. Ooh, Velcro. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> it is good. Um, but yeah, Hank McCoy, uh, and also Ben Foster as uh, Warren Worthington, I believe the third... Uh, the two of them are very important uh, because those two characters from the comics are part of the original class of X-Men. Hmm. So it isn't until we get to this third film that we officially have every original class of X-Person present in film. Uh, so that's kind of a big deal to the people who might care about that. Although, as Kyle had said, Angel doesn't do shit in this movie. No. He's in like three scenes and has two lines of dialogue, maybe. Uh, he does fuck all in this film. Uh, Beast, on the other hand, I quite like. Um, I thought this was a fine representation of Beast. Um, he's introduced hanging upside down while reading a book. He looks right. He's got 
a wonderful Kelsey Grammer voice backing him, which mm-hmm. is appropriate because he's, you know, I mean, Dr. Fraser Crane, one of his most famous characters, is kind of known for, at the very least, sounding like he's a smart man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think Kelsey Grammer also kind of fell into the trap of, oh, I've played an intelligent character on TV for a long time. That must mean I'm an intelligent person as well. Uh, I'm not sure that's entirely the case, but uh, yeah. Uh, he, he yeah, d- he kind of fell into an orchestra pit at one point, too. <laughs> he <laughs> it's is one of the funniest fucking videos I've ever seen. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Uh, 30 Rock did a great job of just picking up like different random uh, cast members from NBC shows, and he has an episode on there, and he's hilarious on it, of course. I do like Kelsey Grammer as an actor. Apparently, he's a troubled man in his personal life, uh, and his politics don't agree with many people in Hollywood. Um, mm-hmm. But as an actor, the performances he gives, I generally find to be quite good. Yeah. I, I like him. I lo- I watched a lot of Frasier when I was young. Uh, he might even just be like a moderate Republican. <laughs> like he's not even like yeah, pr- probably. Yeah. I don't know. But <laughs> point point is like he he has a reputation. But I I like him as an actor. Yeah. But, uh, these days, the kids probably know him for uh, the Red Letter Media-inspired uh, money plane uh, meme. <laughs> He's in a movie starring Edge from the WWF as a... I don't know. It's called Money Plane, and it's about a, a plane full of money. <laughs> is that a WWE production? I don't think it is, oh, actually. I'm still not going to watch it. I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah, but... Money play. I mean, that's part of the reason why I haven't watched the third Blade movie. It's like, oh, Triple H is one of the characters? Absolutely not. Dude, Ryan Reynolds is like almost the same size as him in that movie. It's redonkulous. <laughs> um, also, Prison Break plays uh, Dracula, by the way. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Prison Break, a.k.a. Dominic Purcell. Uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, there was a television show called Prison Break, therefore Dominic Purcell, who headlined the cast of that show, for will forever be known as prison break <laughs> Trevor, people don't even know all the tv shows that are on now like how could they possibly know about a television show from like 2004 it, it, it's fucking insane now how much content there is like i don't know how anybody can keep up with this show. i've started like i've started like three shows and just like walked away because i'm just like i i don't even care now like it's just too much i'm too i get well, too interested that, in other it, things. it's a it's a defense mechanism that's the only way to manage it is like you you don't have enough ticks left in your heart uh, you don't have enough beats left in that heart to to actually consume all that i'm at, in the evening right now i can't i'm not watching anything new i'm just going back and forth between workaholics veep and brooklyn 99 as like my deloading shows and i just like i'll watch an episode of each one i'm like that's even too much for me now. I'm like, shit, I can't even focus on one TV show for too long. I'm like, God forbid I try to get into something new right now. That's why I haven't jumped into the new Game of Thrones show or the the Rings of Power. You're speaking to multiple generations right now, Kyle. Oh. Everybody is in the same struggle. And I picked up the Righteous Gemstones again. I'm going to go back through that because I'm hoping the season three <laughs> comes out here before long. But uh, are we ready to talk about the movie proper? Um... Let me think. Are there any other main characters? Oh, uh, come on, man. We got to talk about Juggernaut. Got to talk about Juggernaut. Juggernaut. He's not a character either. He's a costume and a catchphrase. He's not a character in this movie, but it's fucking Juggernaut. It's Juggernaut. He's played by Vinnie Jones. Vinnie Jones was a a mediocre uh, football player. Uh, He was very known for being violent, and that is generally what his characters are in movies. Um, There you go. 
Yeah, he also has that uh, shtick of being uh, atypically articulate, or at least that was his his shtick in, uh, what was it, Gone 60 Seconds? I didn't watch that. (coughs) (laughs) Did uh, Nick Cage's hair throw you off? (laughs) No, it's a movie about cars, bro. It's just not. That ain't ain't me, you know? That ain't me. I, I... I understand. I'm not into cars either, but I did watch that movie. And he, as far as I recall, the joke is that he is he's mute the entire film, and then he has a big like spiel at the end where it's like, oh damn, he, he is super British. He does have that little moment in Snatch, which is pretty good. I I, I got to rewatch that. Um, yeah, uh, and also I did see the scene where they're doing the uh, uh, lowrider, where they're all like, before they go do the heist, they have to listen to their lowrider song. I'm like. Okay, this is fucking stupid. I'm I'm not gonna watch this movie. That that was the scene they did. I'm like, nope, not gonna watch it. Yeah, I I don't remember it very well. It's probably one of those movies that the kids like these days. But when I saw it, like when it first came out, I, it just didn't resonate with me. But uh, yeah, Vinnie Jones is here as Kane Marco, aka the Juggernaut. Um, his character is completely nothing to do with the the Juggernaut that we all know and love from the comics. No. Um, in the comics, Juggernaut was actually, I think, uh, like stepbrothers with uh, Professor X. Like they were relations. Um, and also, he is not a mutant. Uh, he got his uh, powers from the gem of Citerac uh, or Citerac. I'm not per- things that are written and never said are hard to deal with. Words like that are hard sometimes when you have to say them on a microphone. Point is, he's not a mutant in the comics. He is a mutant here. Um, as I said, he has no character other than a couple of quips. And uh, he he runs and punches things. Um, visually, I guess he's represented okay, but uh, this is a kind of shitty juggernaut, like by any standard, honestly. Like he he kind of looks the part, but th- this is a juggernaut in name only. Very similar to how I felt about the uh, uh, American uh, Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich Godzilla. It's like that is a Godzilla in name only. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here! Great movie. Great movie. <laughs> Yeah, we did a long review of that one, and I'm glad we did. That was a good conversation. But yeah, as far as uh, new cast members go, um, not actually new, uh, because the character actually was present in every X-Men film up to this point. I think only mentioned in... No, actually seen. um, I think in all of them. Yeah. Uh, Kitty Pride, a.k.a. Shadowcat, uh, as played by Elliot Page, um, makes their speaking role debut in this film so as i said the character shadow cat or kitty pride has been in all three of these movies it's just not until now that they have a speaking role a very important character in the comics and in fact was like like timely and relevant uh to the release of this film like there was a joss whedon run uh astonishing x-men that came out like a couple years before this movie that um really aggressively like put uh, Shadowcat and Colossus kind of at the forefront of the team arrangement. Beast as well. Um, so Shadowcat was very, very relevant even in the comics around this time, but a uh, super important character to the X-Men. Uh, it was kind of shocking that it took this long to get to them, especially since um, the the role in the narrative that Rogue represents in that first movie in particular uh, is essentially what, what Shadowcat was to I think the early 80s uh, incarnation of the comic X-Men where Shadowcat was the new arrival kind of the fish out of water who was like trying to pal around with Wolverine and all the other X-Men stuff um, so they kind of did the same trick with uh, Jubilee 
um, in the X-Men cartoon from the 90s as well. But uh, Shadowcat's here, uh, well represented uh, in terms of, uh, I guess, powers, but beyond that, very similar to Juggernaut. Um, mostly just kind of an in-name only thing uh, because Kitty Pride doesn't do f- shit in this movie. <laughs> like, like she, she just kind of like does she does her power of phasing through things. Uh, but beyond that, the, the romance with Iceman, as far as I know, was purely fabricated for this movie. I don't remember anything like that happening in the comics. Um, so it's it's almost like a plot cul-de-sac, honestly. It's like it doesn't even go anywhere by the time you get to the final reel of the film. It's just a little bit of a waste of your time. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Kyle, did you want to get to the movie proper? Yeah, sure. I am ready, and I will not let this opportunity slip through my fingers. All right. Uh, so right off the bat, uh, I have to bring this up. So we get young Charles Xavier and young uh, Eric Magneto, whatever his last name is, uh, uh, going to see about uh, a young Jean Grey. Uh, apparently she's like a level 12 uh, mutant or whatever it is. Uh, the de-aging that they did on these two, how in 2006... Is this better looking than the Irishman? Am I missing something? Have I gone crazy? <laughs> um, so, folks at home, this is a running gag between Kyle and I. Um, can't, yeah, can't, Kyle, he, he, he cannot watch the Irishman. Cannot get through the first five minutes. <laughs> cannot do it. Yeah, uh, that, that truck repair sequence. Dude. Mm, like... You and everybody on the planet, we we all agree with you, Kyle. Um, it looks pretty fucking rough right there. But I hold firm on the point that I think The Irishman is a very good film if you can get past that. That's um, the... It's just that intro, it, the introduction to the, to the de-aging technology is rough. Well, people, from what I understand, even people who really adore the film, love it, they all bring up, yeah, the de-aging doesn't look good. We're... De Niro's kicking the dude, and it's clear it's not a 22-year-old kid. It's fucking geriatric Robert De Niro <laughs> doing the kicks. They're like, yeah, that doesn't look good. But the rest of the movie is great, so maybe someday. Maybe. But yeah, the de-aging make it looks really good here. Like, it, it, it's spot on, but... Um, I Especially ahead. for the time. Especially for the time in 2006, this looked pretty solid there there are some moments where like people's heads turn and you see like there's a little bit of a, like i don't know if his eyeballs followed him correctly but but for the most part for 2006 standards this was pretty incredible um they do look a little plasticky if you want an example of this the same technology done horribly wrong uh just take a look at the, the next movie we'll be reviewing no 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 the next movie we'll be reviewing this month uh, x-men origins wolverine has a couple of shots of patrick stewart de-aged that look absolutely horrific um even when compared to this film but remember uh 2006 this was before we had you know mcu this was before we had uh chris evans as a as a smaller captain america uh, this is before we had all of those other movies where we had de-aged characters like Robert Downey Jr. Uh, at the beginning of Captain America Civil War is kind of a noteworthy example. Um, but this was 2006, so this preceded all of that. And it's, it's done pretty well, if you ask me. Uh, yes, I had somebody try to tell me that 
Captain America. They're like, no, 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 no. He he cut down to get that skinny. I'm like, he's not fucking Christian Bale on the Machinist. Like, he's not eating an apple a day to keep the fat away. Who, who I, told you that? I don't remember. I do not remember. I'm like, you're absolutely wrong. That is not at all what happened. Yeah. I'm not confident that person could fog a mirror. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they were drunk, and they get drunk more often than they don't get drunk. So I think that was who it was. I'm just like, get, get the fuck out of here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that is not how they did that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they go to talk to Jean. She's a little dickhead. Uh, she's, like, picking up cars and stuff, and... Obviously, Eric's just like, she's got a great power, Charles. And Charles is like, she needs to be tamed. Like, she's got way too much power. Uh, and then this is young Jean Grey, so obviously she goes with Professor X. But uh, we get some more kid stuff. We, we, so that was like 20, or it was like 30 years ago. And it was like, all right, this was just six or 10 years ago, whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> and we get some kid in the bathroom just like having a panic attack. Like, he's like, here's some snips, you see some feathers, there's maybe some blood. It was like, what's going on? And this fucking rich Republican dad's just like, hey, dude, what the fuck are you doing in the bathroom? You've been in there for too long, which is super rude. I mean, he's an adolescent boy. Leave him the fuck alone. Let him be in the bathroom. Don't knock on the door. Uh, I'm going to bust this thing down if you don't tell me what you're doing in there. Uh, And this is young, what's his name? Uh, Warren Worthington III, a.k.a. Angel. Angel, yes, Angel. Uh, Dad goes in there and he's like, oh, shit, my son is a fucking mutant. This isn't good. Uh, He's cutting off some wings that he's got. Um... And then I think we get our credit sequence. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the score. Uh, yeah. Did it remind you of Batman Forever? Because it sure did for me. Uh, it reminded me more of Batman Returns Maybe. Uh, than Forever, okay. honestly. I got a little bit of Elfman vibes, and I want to say uh, that may have just been symptomatic of the time. Okay. Uh, because remember, this is two Spider-Man films deep. Mm-hmm. Like, like Spider-Man 3 was... I think being promoted that around this was time. Danny and Elfman, right? He did he did the scores for Spider Man's. Da- Danny Elfman, but uh, this is actually a fun little trivia trivia factoid that more people ought to know about. Mm. Um, Christopher Young uh, also served as a composer uh, for Spider Man Two in particular. As far as I know, he was kind of like an understudy to to Danny Elfman. I mean, he he has done films on his own. He's a very solid composer on his own. But uh, apparently, Sam Raimi and Danny Elfman. Uh, got really heated with each other. Interesting. Like they, they disagreed very fundamentally on certain aspects of the, the compositions for the Spider-Man films to the point that I think Danny Elfman quit on two, like while they were making two. And by the time you get to three, uh, it's all Christopher Young. Uh, it's it's bizarre. I, I have no idea the nature of the debate between the two of them. But if memory serves... Um, when I when I watched uh, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, I did mm. watch that very recently within the past couple weeks. It was fine. Uh, good Bruce Campbell. Good Bruce Campbell. Uh, <laughs> Pizza Papa always gets paid. I told you. <laughs> like he's the best part of the movie. I mean, that is a quote. Uh, Pizza Papa always gets paid. Um, that's great. But um, if memory serves, Danny Elfman uh, was listed as composer for that film, so maybe they're okay now. Okay. Um, but yeah, I got a little bit of Elfman vibes with the soundtrack. Also, a little bit of a John Williams in that there's a little bit of a Jaws cadence uh, for a couple of moments. In particular, actually, when uh, Angel is shaving his wings, or when he's a uh, 
being threatened with the cure later. There's a little bit of a dun 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 dun, and that happens a couple of times in the movie. But um, the composer on this film is John Powell. And uh, let me ask you, Kyle. Uh, nope. I know. Damn it. <laughs> so, folks uh, at home, if you're not aware, another running gag between Kyle and I is that um, Kyle is prone to saying that we notice different things uh, when it comes to our, our viewing experience of films. And I, I that's a big part of why I like talking about movies with Kyle, because it's true. He does notice a lot of things that I don't and vice versa. Um, but one thing that I just will never understand, and I know this is common for a lot of people, not just Kyle, uh, Kyle generally doesn't notice the score for movies. Yeah, I don't know how you do. <laughs> it's so fundamental to how I absorb a film. Like uh, my my ears are always always opened up to the score in addition to you know the visuals and the dialogue and stuff. I definitely don't notice it on films that I've seen a dozen times. It's just like I'm just kind of waiting for the beats. I'm just I'm not really paying attention to the score. So yeah, did not notice anything about the score. Don't know who the composer is, what else he's worked on. So yeah, it, no music notes on my notes this year or this this episode. Okay. Okay. Well, again, let me be preachy and try to educate the masses. Um, John Powell is one of those those composers that he's he's like a personal favorite of mine. Um, he doesn't always hit, um, but it's kind of remarkable if you look over his his discography. It's like every two or three movies there is a hit so it's like he may not knock it out of the park every single time but but he's he's a solid reliable composer and when he hits he hits he hits well man um uh, he's always been a favorite of mine ever since i watched face off uh, one of the first r-rated films i ever saw and i think one of his earliest works um and uh the born films uh he scored all of those you, although that's debatable by the time you get to that last one that was kind of a phoned in effort <laughs> um i don't know who made that score uh, it's made of a lot of recycled uh, components um also the italian job is a very good score of his as well um point is i was kind of hyped about john powell doing an x-men film uh, although uh i'll say this much and and then we can move on um I think his score for this film is probably an it's an enjoyable listen. I can confirm that because I have listened to the score at, at one time or another. But I don't know if it's the most appropriate fit for this particular franchise. I, I was very critical of John Ottman's work on uh, X2 um, in that like I, I kind of fundamentally disagreed with, with some I don't know aspects of the composition for that film. However, when I really think about it, it's like, but that's also kind of the sound that I associate with the franchise. So this may be a prettier score. It's a it's a nice listen, um, but I don't know that it's it's a complete win. It's just nice to listen to. Is all like it 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 fits. It's it's just not the best fit. Just a small detail I wanted to point out. Uh, just small things that I noticed was I did like that they introduce uh, the young Professor X legs first. That was a very appropriate way to introduce the younger version of him because that's you know significant detail and then when they introduce the older version of him they do it again legs first although now he's in a chair that was you know some of that filmmaking shit that's kind of neat um but yeah uh beyond that um stanley has a cameo uh, during the suburbia sequence uh, in gene gray's neighborhood um this is also uh, the first x-men film to have a marvel banner uh to preceding the film um, so this was like 
on the cusp of the MCU. Uh, Iron Man wouldn't come out until 2008, but we were we were getting ready for it. Kevin Feige had some plans. Like like, I'm pretty sure Iron Man was well into production by the time this movie came out. Um, anyway, Kyle, I'll kick it back over to you. All right, caught it. Uh, so yeah, then we get the uh, then we get the X Men X Mening around. There, uh, it's kind of wish they would have started with this. I think this is a good way to start your film. Is like kind of like a James Bond where he's finishing up his last mission before he gets into the next one. Uh, this what it seems like what's happening here, but we learn that it's actually a training exercise. Uh, and I, I like Wolverine's just like I could not give a shit less about this. And honestly, he doesn't really need to do the training exercises. What he needs to learn how to do is he needs to keep Magneto from being able to control him because he is at a serious disadvantage with that one in particular uh, mutant. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, that's what his training should be. But I don't know if you can even train that. Also, he does have adamantium-covered bones, correct? Yes. Yeah, why doesn't Magneto crush his ass? Like, he could just, like, he could just crush him. Are we? No, 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 no. We can't. We can't. Are we gonna get off on like Jason Lee and fucking uh, Mallrats, where he won't stop talking about comic books? Uh, okay, I'll keep it short. <laughs> I, I can't not, Kyle. I'm okay. vibrating in my seat. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so folks, uh, buckle up. <laughs> this is gonna get rough. I'm to pee um, again. <laughs> So I did mention uh, on our our X-Men discussion from the year 2000, um, I I went over my personal background with the X-Men franchise as a whole, not just the movies, but the, you know, the media franchise. Um, The first X-Men trade paperback that I ever had, um, my dad got for me. I don't know where the fuck from. He probably stole it from some kid on a playground for all I know. That's very much something my dad would do. Um, It was called Fatal Attractions. And it was from the uh, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee era of the X-Men series. Um, anyway, it's best known today as the story arc wherein uh, Magneto kind of goes ape shit, and uh, the X-Men try to stop him like, like you do. Uh, and Magneto rips out Wolverine's adamantium. He liquefies it and removes it forcibly through his skin. Um, it's one of the gnarliest splash pages um, of its day. It's an extraordinarily memorable moment that I'm fairly certain a lot of people out there are still wanting to see realized on film, very similar to Bane uh, breaking Batman's back or uh, Doomsday uh, trading blows with Superman. It's just one of those iconic images that we all want or uh, you know, the Joker with a crowbar and, and Robin or something or, or stuff like that. Anyway, um, All I'm saying is there is precedent for exactly what Kyle is saying. Um, But uh, I did listen to the commentary and watch the deleted scenes on the Blu-ray for this movie. Um, And I did notice several instances of the violence being toned down. And none of the deleted content was super violent, but it it was just violent enough, I guess, that the studio stepped in and said, we're not doing that. Um, so I would not be surprised at all just based on how geeky the writers on this film were. Like they they went out of their way to like try to reference something from the comics in like literally every scene of this movie, which is commendable, but it doesn't make for the cleanest of narratives. But I'm sure, like I am nearly a hundred percent certain that they lobbied to have that moment happen or, or something akin to it 
But no, the studio wasn't having that. My Aronofsky senses are tingling right now. Uh, so one of the things that I think Aronofsky does really well in uh, the movies that I've seen of his is it's one of those moments where in a movie where you're like, how did they think of that? Like the uh, the blade dildo from Seven is like, whoa, dude, how did you think of that? <laughs> you're not supposed to think of that. There's a scene, I don't know if you've seen Requiem for a Dream. Uh, have you seen it? I have not, actually. Oh, I can't say it then. There's a scene in that movie where you're like, uh, what? How did you think of that? Why did you think to put that in this movie? I think that if Aronofsky would have got his greasy little mitts on this movie, I think we might have gotten to see some cool shit. It's just like, that would have been up in his wheelhouse. Like, oh yeah, we're doing that. We're sucking the adamantium out of his fucking body. So... Damn it. Missed opportunity. Well, it's a shame that the X-Men now belong to the House of Mouse uh, mm. because I, w- I would have said, you know, he's still working as a director. The X-Men franchise is in limbo at the moment, but it's on its way back. You know, I, I would have said there's a chance it could still happen, um, but not with Disney at the helm. No, I want something darker. Uh, yeah, the mouse- Although... although- I, I would not actually be surprised if that moment still does happen. It just won't be that. Like it, it yeah. just it won't be as gruesome as it as we all imagine it to be. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised just because it's from the '90s era of the comics, and everything '90s is very much in vogue these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so my, mining, you know, the depths of that material is very much something that I would not be surprised Kevin Feige would be keen on doing. But um, anyway, that's. That um, that's just me going off on a tangent and explaining. Yes, Magneto absolutely could do that. He just he just doesn't because studio mandates. <laughs> All right, well, I'll bring us back in here. Scott. So we've got Magneto, or not Magneto. We've got Cyclops uh, being weepy with his five o'clock shadow on the bed about his girlfriend. Oh, whoa, whoa! No, I have I have to call time out. We can't we can't skip the danger room. Gotta talk about the danger room. Danger room. <laughs> the training exercise. The yeah. the training exercise at the beginning of the movie. It just, it's just worth talking about for just a second. Is it okay? Uh, Go ahead. Well, yeah, because it is. It's a swerve, basically, because the the screen says the not too distant future, and it looks like they're doing battle with terminators. Yeah, like the landscape looks like the opening of T two, basically. Yeah. Yeah, complete with lasers and missiles and shit. No, no hunter killers in the sky. In fact, we never see what they're fighting until the end of the battle. But it's a swerve. Like to people who wouldn't be aware of what's going on, it's like, oh, the not too distant future. Oh, are are like are we fighting Terminators or some shit, or are the X Men at war or something? Because it looks like they're in a war zone. Yeah, I'm so jade. I've just seen this so many times. It's like I never would have picked up on like this was to throw people off. Yeah, so I never would have. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's meant to throw the people off who don't know any better. But there are some cute moments here. Like I did like a Colossus uh, forcibly like putting his hand on Rogue's head uh, to share his uh, his steel skin with her mm-hmm. um, to protect her from a missile blast and stuff. And we get we're introduced to uh, Elliot Page as Shadowcat saving Bobby Drake, uh, Iceman, mm-hmm. um, and also we see. We just get a shot of Anna Paquin looking butthurt, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> like like seeing somebody hug her her boyfriend, um, and uh, also the big thing for the fans of the comics. Again, like I said, the writing team for this movie almost feels like they directed this movie to some degree. 
um, because they really did push hard to try to put references in like everything. Um, we do get a fastball special, um, which is the nickname for when Colossus throws Wolverine as a projectile. Um, and that's Wolverine's solution for dealing with what's attacking them, uh, which, as evidenced by the giant robot head falling down after he uh, is thrown at it, um, it's like, oh, it's a sentinel. So right here we have a reference to uh, kind of the iconic story arc, Days of Future Past from the comics, which will get its own movie adaptation several years down the line. But here, this one sequence is, at the time, the only explicit reference to the danger room and the only explicit reference to sentinels that we would get in the franchise until three movies down the line so kind of a big deal oh that was weird i didn't mean to do that uh (laughs) 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 i did it on purpose uh yeah i that was a lot more details in there than i than i thought i thought it was a training exercise not training exercise got it um, yeah, so cut to Mopey Cyclops. Yeah, he's crying. Uh, and I think he's hearing voices. He's getting like some, some Scott, 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 Scott. Uh, and, uh, he's all weepy and shit. Then we get introduced to Beast, uh, who is the Secretary of Mutant Affairs. I think he's hanging upside down uh, reading the, the New York Times or something. Uh, and he's brought in because he's got a meeting with the president. Um, and I, I didn't catch this. I guess this is the... Maybe at the end of the second movie, I don't recall. Apparently, they captured Mystique. They captured Mystique whenever they caught uh, well, Magneto's on the loose. How'd they catch Mystique? Uh, she was impersonating Bill Duke, uh, the character named Trask. Um, it's all off screen, as far as I understand, um, because she at the end of X two she escaped with Magneto, and that's kind of the end of them for that movie. So it all happens off screen. It's all explained to us very hastily in offhand dialogue. It's it's very clunky. I say she's very slippery. I think it'd be very difficult to capture her. So I'd kind of like to see that. Uh, see how they caught. Yeah, for real. Yeah, like a, a lot of people would like to see that because Mystique was kind of a fan favorite character and it would you know yeah, would yeah. have been appreciated, especially because for a variety of reasons. Uh-huh. Kyle, but <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Beast is he's like secretary to the president to some degree. Um, and, uh, like I said, Bill Duke is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's going to have him some fun. Uh, he is playing, he is only called Trask in this movie. And this is a very explicit reference to Bolivar Trask, um, who, if memory serves, uh, is in Days of Future Past, um, as played by, what's his face from Game of Thrones? <laughs> I can't remember his name. Oh, Dinklage. Dinklage. Yeah, Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he is played by Peter Dinklage. So uh, I th- believe he's supposed to be the same character. The whole point of him being there and being named that is that it's like an allusion to, like, oh, there might be Sentinels someday. Mm. Not for another three movies or so. But um, yeah, Mystique is in custody. And uh, we get a scene of her being interrogated. Um, and did you have fun noting the, oh, yeah. uh, the person doing the interrogating? I'm dangerously <laughs> close to rewatching Silence of the Lambs today. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> I've got it on Blu-ray. I got it on Blu-ray. I haven't been able to crack it open. Uh, I'd very much like to. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm getting really close to, to watching that again. But, yeah, I'm like, anytime Anthony Heed is... Um, uh, if he has a pin on him, it's going to be good. Uh, it's going to be great if he just has a pin near him. Uh, but, yeah, they he has a... Uh, a little 
little back and forth with Mystique here, and I guess she was trying either she's I guess she was trying to steal the file on this kid uh, who apparently is uh, quote unquote the cure. I guess his mutant power is that he neutralizes other mutants' powers if they get close to him. Um, I guess put a pin in that because there are some things that will happen with him. But he's the he's the main focus of the film, even though he's barely on screen uh, throughout the film. Well, I'm not going to make a tangent out of this, but I will just throw it out there. That will that's try. probably that's that's probably like the biggest flaw the movie has is that it has very little focus. Like yeah. it is juggling way too many balls. Like it, it's spinning way too many plates and doesn't give the proper attention to really any of them. Like maybe maybe Gene, but like that's kind of it. Well, I think this is maybe the first time uh, in cinema history where the third installment of a major franchise is much shorter than the second installment. I mean, this. I mean, if this movie was made now, it's like this would be two and a half at least two and a half hours long, maybe even three, probably three hours long. Uh, so I think that has to do with the runtime as well. Like, like you just didn't, they, it was just, this is short and space. This is an hour and 45 minutes. I was shocked. I was like an hour and 45 minutes. I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. It, it does breeze by pretty quick. Yeah. That's probably what makes it more watchable yes. than some of the others. Cause X, X two, as we mentioned, like off the mic, it, it demands more of your attention. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's harder to casually watch. Whereas this one, it it's, you're not going to be missing much if you like step out of the room for a second to grab some chips or something. Um, and it is shorter. Uh, but yeah, it does move at the very least, but, um, yeah, uh, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy slash Leech, uh, he's he's kind of in, he is an important aspect of the story, but he's not really paid a lot of mind in terms of screen time and whatnot. But yeah, Anthony Heald gets a uh, beat up by Mystique, oh, yeah. like that. Uh, she does call him a pathetic meat sack, by the way. <laughs> Homo sapien. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hate this kid, by the way. Uh, he's also uh, Aaron Eckhart's son, and thank you for smoking. I'm just like, this fucking kid. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, this I wanted to talk to you about. So, we get to Professor X is having a class in his office for his. And this is his AP class, apparently. Um, this is. We're, we're kind of having a conversation, then we throw out some Einstein, but then he's just like, check out this monitor. There's a dude that has no higher brain function. Interesting, right? Put a pin in that. <laughs> Seriously, put a pin in that because you're probably going to fucking forget at the end of the movie when it comes back and you're like, wait, what the fuck just happened? Uh, it, I don't know if it was the timing at which they put it in or they didn't even telegraph it. Maybe it's actually a really good put a pin in this because I completely forgot about it. But what what was your take on that? Oh, I agree wholeheartedly. This, this is clunky and terribly positioned in the film. Okay, thank you. I don't... I haven't watched this with the girlfriend yet. Like she she does want to watch all the X Men films like in sequence, but I'm very clear. I'm very curious if she retains that because the seriously putting this moment so early in the movie is a terrible idea. I I can barely do big box office movies with Steph that I've seen that she hasn't because she has an eye for uh for story structure. Like she will pick up on it immediately. I'm like. Fuck! She'll ask me exactly what's about to happen. I'm like, just watch. Don't ask. Just watch. I'm like, yes, exactly what you said was going to happen is about to happen. Uh, 
it's kind of kind of sucks because you can't you can't pull the wool over her eyes. She she knows exactly what's coming. Um, Aww. But yeah. Uh, so we get Storm and Professor X. They're having a little chit chat. Um, I think maybe she's. I think she's kind of sad. So the weather's turning, and he talks to her. Um, I don't know anything comes from this conversation. Pretty much when Storm's on the screen, it's not really that exciting, unfortunately. I th- I think this was symptomatic of Halle Berry having a lot of clout uh, at the time because I don't know what it is, but the sight of her and Hugh Jackman, just the two of them together in so many scenes, just uh-huh. is so. It's just so wrong. Like Storm and Wolverine have nothing going on like they have nothing to connect them and and they're like alone on screen together so often just talking at each other you can you can hear you can hear the eye roll which you're not supposed to hear you can hear the eye roll (laughs) roll from the writer when they're like oh we have to put something for storm hey storm can you get rid of this fog Hey Storm, can you do something about this? It's like three. Hey times. Storm, can you bring back the fog? Even G- Jew Hackman, Hugh Jackman. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> it's been a what long week. <laughs> it's been a long week. I even his delivery when he's talking to her is just like, ugh. So I'm gonna talk about this one. Um, but oh, I- I'm gonna pause this one more time, Kyle, no. uh, just because I I need to get your take on this. So. I noticed the thing, and and I can't not notice it now. Like one, like from an aesthetic standpoint, this movie just the visual effects are nice. Like by the way, the the budget for this film was astronomical. Uh, I could tell like, from it, the, at the time the CGI is it's it's pretty great. Yeah, the, yes, you cannot knock the visual effects nope. work in this film. It was it was excellent I, for its time. It's still very good today. I think because of the ins like the this the the climax of the film when we're at the we're at Alcatraz, I think some of those visuals was what kept us coming back because there's some pretty awesome shit there. Oh yeah, there's some tremendous CGI work in this film. Like really, really strong visual effects work in this film. Um, the budget for this film was like two hundred million dollars. It was it was basically the most expensive film ever when it came out. It, it's hard to imagine a fucking Brent Ratner directed film was the most expensive fucking thing ever made. Wow! But like I said, the thing was well into production well before he was even given the gig because very similar to how mcu movies are made today a lot of the visual effects heavy sequences are already being manufactured before the movie's even a movie honestly just because it takes that many hands and that much hours to manufacture those shots um but from an aesthetic standpoint quality of visual effects aside just in terms of lighting and color i think this movie is not nearly as interesting to look at uh, as the first two X-Men films, the second one in particular, I think, has a particular look to it. It has a, it has a grime, it has mm. a, a mean quality to it. Yeah. That it, it works very, very well in that film. Um, and it complements the dark leather aesthetic of the X-Men as well. But um, it, what I'm getting at here is I noticed the thing that I just can't not notice now is um, Hugh Jackman does not look all that great in this movie. No, his... Like, his wig. Yeah. His wig and his makeup, he looks 
bad. He looks like shit. I was actually thinking the same thing. <laughs> he I'm like, looks like boiled crap. I'm like, he's an Adonis. Like, he, he is a smoke show. And I'm like, he looks like ass in this movie, for sure. His hair, mm-hmm. is, like, to, to quote Seinfeld, is like, Elaine, your hair, it's slightly de-poofed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like his his wig is the worst it will ever be in any of these movies and not only that the color grade is fucked to the point that he always looks like he has like cherry cherry lip balm on his mouth yeah he he keep it with seinfeld he is the equivalent of a naked cough yeah he does not look good (laughs) (coughs) pickle jar this is one of my favorite moments from that show um yeah uh so yeah so the Storm Professor X have a little talk. Beast comes in and he's having a chat with Storm uh, Professor X and Wolverine. And he's basically giving them the, uh, the update like, hey, they've got a kid that's a cure. They're about to announce it on TV, just so you know. Um, and Rogue comes in immediately. She's like, is this true? Like, they can cure us? Uh, which is, I mean, very exciting for her. Uh, I mean, it, she literally kills people <laughs> if she touches them. Um but yeah, and the somebody pointed this out. Uh, I can't remember what video it was, but somebody pointed out. It's like, yeah, Storm's just like, there's. It's not a cure because we don't need a cure. There's nothing wrong with us. I'm like, well, with Rogue, it's kind of a shitty power for her. Uh, she, you know, she because I want to fit in. Yeah, she just wants to fit in, dude. She just wants to. She wants to bone her boyfriend. Which she cannot do. Yeah, and like as evidenced by the passage of time, they've been thinking about it. Oh yeah, for a long time. Yeah, <laughs> it's like one yeah. can only dry hump so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Oh no, I just had a thought. Professor X has telepathy. He can just like pop into people's heads. Oh, that feels dirty like. bastard. <laughs> you know what? I... He's probably just he's probably just spinning in his chair, going like, oh, oh no. Wolverine, what have I told you about coming in without knocking? I was very busy. Uh, also, stop thinking about Gene like that, you filthy bitch. Um, but yeah, uh, in a different movie, man, yeah. like that he would have caddy lines like yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, then we uh, then we get the Republican dad. He, I guess, is funded. He's part of the the committee that are putting together this cure uh, based off this kid's blood or whatever it is. Um, and he's just like, yeah, we're opening up. I think it's on. He's not. I'm sorry. The kid is on Alcatraz, but they're opening up, uh, I guess, at his building. Maybe it's like, hey, you can come here, get the cure. Obviously, there is uh, people protesting. I think this is a good time to kind of talk about the, the superficial um, the issues that are kind of brought to the to the surface here but that's pretty much it they're just kind of raised in the film uh so we obviously have like consent is one which is very ironic considering the directors <laughs> with this with yeah, this franchise say, fuck. um abortion rights um uh, access to abortions uh gay rights and i i'm gonna throw one in there i think conversion therapy might actually be in here as well uh just just briefly but I mean, I think abortion is the one that we kind of touch on the most, but uh, it's all here. Just It's just kind of simmering, but it doesn't really come up. It's all there. It's just like you hit the nail on the head. It, it's all just paid lip service, yeah. too. It's all just surface level. The film doesn't have the time or the energy 
or the smarts uh, to really delve into any of it and explore it. Because, like, Nick and I, when we were talking about X2, good luck with those gremlins, by the way, Nick. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were talking about X2, there's that scene where we meet uh, Iceman's parents and we have the, do you think you could try not being a mutant scene with Bobby? <laughs> yeah. And that whole sequence, it's its like, it is clunky, it is ham-fisted, but it was very, very necessary. And the awkwardness of it is very, it comes across as very genuine um, in ways that this movie just is not prepared to be. Could you, could you not? You're kind of embarrassing us. The, the neighbors really don't like us now that we have a mutant son. Could, could you just stop it? Yeah, that's a, definitely a parent it's thing. Like, could, 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 could just like one weekend not be Christmas, Bobby? <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like, could it not snow for one day, Bobby? Bobby? It's fucking cold. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby, your mother has wrecked nipples because of you. Is this what you want, Bobby? Um, <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, yeah, Storm, Storm don't like no cure. She, she's not about this. Like, she is yeah, not. Yeah, I don't know it. how many times in my notes I have so and so is butt hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's like it, I have rogue is butt hurt, storm is butt hurt. Storm, your ability does not affect you in a negative way at all. Honestly, your mutant power isn't even that big a deal as far as some of the other ones. Now that as far as some of the other ones are concerned, hers is actually pretty decent. She just never really gets to use it to its full advantage in these movies. Uh, because there's definitely some some mutants in here. I'm like that's stupid. That's not a good mutant power. Like, you should go get the cure because I don't know when you're going to yeah, use that, dude. Well, again, the movie just is is not qualified. It, it, it just kind of deems itself to not be qualified. It's totally unwilling to explore those kinds of ideas like the second one was. Because, again, pointing to that second movie, there's that exchange between Nightcrawler and Mystique where he's like, so you can be anyone anytime why are you this effort effortlessly why don't you just like do this yeah. and she's like because we shouldn't it, have to I, I think that's i think that's the biggest thing i think we've i think i've uncovered it it's because this is a very significant thing this is something that can get rid of your mutant powers something that can help you assimilate into regular life and not feel like an outsider and we kind of brush on a couple of characters thinking about it but it's that's it. Like you just see Hank McCoy, see his hand go back, and he's like, "Well, that was really interesting." I haven't really thought much about it past what just happened. Uh, Rogue is the most obvious one, but it's like maybe Wolverine would not like to have adamantium bones, and maybe he wouldn't like to heal himself. Maybe he wants to die. <laughs> maybe that's something he wants to do. Like, dude, I've been around for a while. I wish we could have gotten a little bit more of that, or maybe even Professor X, just like. I'm tired of hearing everybody's thoughts. It really sucks. Like, I'm, I don't always get to turn it off. And even in Logan, especially Logan, it's like, he it's a real problem for him in that movie. Yeah, no, it, it's a really cool idea mm-hmm. for a story. The movie's just not interested in telling that story, and it, it feels really clunky. Like, like I think even the, the producers have gone on, on record stating that the entire reason why The Cure is in it like implemented in this film 
is just to serve as a catalyst to justify Magneto becoming as radical as he gets in this film. It does. So it's, yeah. it's a it's a means to an end, but it's the wrong means, man. And I don't even agree with his character development in this movie. We'll we'll, we'll get to it. Uh, oh, he he makes some leaps that are like yeah. really that is not really in line. cruel to the character. I'm like it is not in line with how his character's been in the last two movies. He would not say that exactly. Um, I'm I'm glad we agree on that. Um, but I want to get to the lower level mutant meeting. Um, because, uh, because it's, it cracks me up. I love the, the, the mutant who's just like, yeah, I can move really fast. She can't even move that fast. Like you see her just kind of go, like, I, uh, she could have reminds sp- me of a uh, Beavis and Butthead uh, <laughs> talking about the Hoover Dam, talking about how much water goes through and it's really not that much. <laughs> it's really not it's that like, much. It's like, it's like, oh man, she's super fast. And it's like, oh, she's really not that fast. I fucking <laughs> like uh, an NFL rookie that can run a four three. I'm like, he could probably do it just as fast as she did. I'm like, okay, I guess that's a mutant power. She's like, also, I can tell how strong a mutant is. She's like, you're like a class four. And like the rest of these guys are like okay. class. I'm like, dude, okay. okay. Is this something that's, that's my follow up is like, is this, are there classes of mutants or is that made for this movie? So in my day, as far as I understand, there were not classes of mutants. However, I do think at some point in the comics, they did introduce the, the levels, mm. the classes. Class five, I think is supposed to be um, I think they also call it like it, it's analogous to Omega level mutant. Um, what that refers to is there's no ceiling uh, for that person's power capabilities. Uh, Iceman actually technically is that. Like the the joke is that he just never applies himself to learning how to use his powers to the extent that he can. Um, but the comics I read back in the day, as far as I know, they never used classes remember dragon ball z was very very popular power levels are always going to be very very popular with the kids if you if you google any fictional character or like look them up on youtube there will always be who is the strongest (laughs) like that's always the question that every kid has on the internet trust me i've been there (laughs) but the thing about this character is that this is um i used this expression before uh, in regards to uh brian cox uh his character striker from x2 um this character dania ramirez plays callisto um this is a frankenstein's monster of a character like her powers her capabilities it's all it's all just multiple characters smashed together like most notably caliban uh who is actually um who's ricky gervais's tall friend oh uh, i forget his name i know who you're talking about but yeah i don't know his name uh that character caliban appears in logan uh he's the guy who's he's helping logan in the earlier parts of that film uh, he's allergic to the sun and whatnot i think he does the voice of the uh ai in portal 2 i think that's him uh, i'm not positive but point is tall british man <laughs> him or paul bettany but yeah no, it's not Paul, but it's in, the other guy in Logan. But um, anyway, Caliban uh, has the power to sense other mutants. Like he can track other mutants, and they transpose that power onto Callisto. Um, Callisto never had super speed. Um, she also had an eye patch in the comics, which is pretty nice. wicked awesome. But, uh, but she doesn't have that. Instead, she's got a chin stud in this movie. Mm-hmm. So the super the super speed thing, I think, was just a thing to make her more formidable and also allow them to take shortcuts in choreographing her fight sequences because 
Anytime she's throwing hands with Halle Berry in this movie, it is trash. Mm. It is straight up awful. Oh, I I just stopped watching. Once they get over to Alcatraz, I'm like, okay, I'm good. I know what happens from here. Like, yeah. Also, Kyle, is is the guy on the stage the guy from UHF that cuts his thumb off? I haven't seen UHF, so I don't know. He has a middle part and a very prominent nose, and he has kind of a dopey demeanor. Oh, the, tall- the uh, valet from uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Is that who you're talking about? Oh, it's no problem. No, no. That, okay. That's the guy from uh, Super Mario Brothers. Sure. Yeah, I don't know who <laughs> it is, yeah. Um, okay. Well, yeah. any, anyway, he, he gets brushed aside very quickly because Magneto shows up. <laughs> I think uh, one of... Uh, I think one of... Uh, Ian McKellen's uh, for him to do this character with this script he's just like I get to do public speaking and I get to throw my Shakespearean twist on some of this because not so much this one but later on it gets very it gets very theater Um, which he does well it's just like it's kind of funny how he's doing it um, I mean, he literally does Shakespeare in the part. Yeah, like, he literally <laughs> does. Uh, can we talk about my least favorite character and least favorite actor and least favorite hair and least favorite mutant, Pyro? I fucking hate this dude. I, I hate the character because he's supposed to be a heel. Like, you're supposed to not like him. He's supposed to walk that line. I hate the actor. He looks like Eliza Dushku with a fucking Goku haircut. Uh, yeah, right? Did I just blow your fucking wow. mind? You just blew my fucking yeah. mind. Yeah. Eliza Dushku, you hit it on the head, yeah. man. <laughs> I wanna, I, but she, but the thing is, is like, she bugs me too. So I think it just might be their face. <laughs> I just, their face bothers me. Um, yeah, I, I hate this fucking dude. Also, I hate every fucking jacket in this movie. Everybody is wearing a biker jacket and boot cut jeans. <laughs> It was, it was the style at the time. It was the style at the time. But I know I know Wolverine's leather jacket sold very, very well. I do remember seeing it around town quite don't often. Don't you have um, it? But yeah. No, it, no. I don't okay. ever have anything like that. I've never owned an actual leather jacket. You have the, too poor. You have, you have a, a jacket that looks like Star-Lord. Uh, you have the Star-Lord looking jacket. Uh, yeah. I, I, have, I have stuff that Donnie Yen would wear. Yeah, there you um, go. Uh, yeah. yeah, what do you think about I have Pyro? any appreciation for the man? <laughs> uh, uh, this actor, Aaron Stanford, is one of the, I want to say, the losers that came out of this film because I don't know him from anything else. I think he did, like, maybe The Hills Have Eyes or some shit. I think I remember <laughs> seeing that on his filmography. But point is, he did not really escape the X-Men films, as far as I can tell. He probably had a, a working career, but he did not. he did not reach the same heights as the vast majority of the other people in these films. Pretty much everybody else. Yeah. Pretty much everyone else. I mean, Vinnie Jones is still working. He's still doing Redbox movies and shit. I mean... And Sean Ashmore has had a career. Like, everybody else has done just fine except for this fucking guy. Yeah, uh, what is... I can't say her name, but she plays Dr. Kavita Rao. She's on The Expanse, and I do have a joke for her later. Yes. Um... Ava Sorala. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, she, uh, oh, how many packs a day, Kyle? How many packs a day? I don't think she's a smoker. I just think that's her voice. I just think that's how she sounds. I mean, it's an amazing voice, oh. however it came about. Yeah. No, she she has a power. Uh, and uh, <laughs> Not Amos. Is it Amos? Yeah, I think Amos is pretty smitten by her in that show. 
Um, uh, it's funny you're you're mentioning the Expanse. Uh, the girlfriend is a huge fan. She loved that show. Yeah, uh, it's a great show. I wanted to ask her about Marco. Ask her about Marco and what she thought about his arc because he is one of the most infuriating characters uh, in a in a series. So he was. Pr- I'll try to remember because I I, I want to know her thoughts. Uh, uh, but uh, there is. So Ava Sarala ends up dying in this in this uh, movie by a guy who has a tattoo on his face, and she's an she's a an Earther in that show, and the Belters have face tattoos and stuff. So I'm like, oh, ironic. She ends up getting killed by a guy who looks like a Belter. That actually lines up. Uh, so this kid, so that kid that the little this little shit uh, who plays uh, Pyro, he's still working. Yeah, he's still working pretty consistently like he's definitely doing stuff oh he's in madman i'm gonna have to find that episode um uh, yeah he's still doing stuff he's on uh looks like one of the more recent seasons of uh, westworld so yeah fuck him okay he's he's doing all right though. yeah you could do worse than he's not a household name though no no um but yeah so <laughs> magneto's in there recruiting but i mean this group is together because like hey if you guys want to get the cure this isn't a bad idea some of us probably would like to get it and Magneto's like, well, that's not going to do at all. It's like, they want you to get the cure so they can, so we can control all of us. Which of you pussies are going to join my cause? And uh, <laughs> nobody... Cape swish. Yeah. No, nobody, really, nobody really joins except for just this group, like three people. Uh, the only ones that really join. The, the people with the best wardrobe yeah. are the flashiest wardrobe, yeah. basically. The people that we had budget and the makeup for <laughs> uh but he's just like oh what's your power so oh, i can run fast and the one guy's like a porcupine i don't even remember what the other one can do uh but he's just oh, so just to pause for a second so we can move on but just to highlight who these people are uh so we have ken lung uh who kyle and i were talking about brett ratner uh before we started recording uh probably best known to you know casual moviegoers uh, as being one of the heavies from rush hour mm-hmm. the first rush hour um, he, as far as I know, he has a working relationship with Brett not Ratner. Not anymore, because uh, Brett Ratner doesn't work anymore for obvious reasons. But Ken Lung does. Uh, he pops up in lots of fun places. Um, he is listed in the credits as Quentin Choir or Kid Omega, but his powers look like Quill. Like he literally has quills coming out of him. So it's like just call him Quill. Um, we already talked about Callisto. Uh, she's there to serve as a plot device for how they're able to find people when they're able to find them. Uh, Arclight is also there. Um, I don't think I don't think they have a single line, but they have like nifty powers that come into play exactly one time. And the big one though is Psylocke. Psylocke is supposed to be one of these characters, and Psylocke would go on to be played by Olivia Munn in X Men Apocalypse. Um, Olivia Munn, a.k.a. the the bane of uh, your favorite football player's household, as far as I know. Uh, He's not my favorite football player, but he's pretty high (laughs) up there. Uh, Yeah, no, I think he's already, she's already, like, way down the line. He's he's dated Danica Patrick since then. Uh, The girl from Divergence, the the Divergence series. Julia, uh, I can't think of her name. Shailene. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He was in Gate. He was in the woman that would be Mary Jane, but was not Mary Jane. She was supposed to be Mary Jane in the Spider-Man movies. Gotcha. Didn't work out. Uh, yeah, he was engaged to her, which I mean, I think that probably means he hung out with Miles Teller a couple a couple times, which I understand why he dumped her. Um, 
or why or no why they broke up. And now I think he's dating a Wiccan. I think that's her thing. I think he's dating a Wiccan now, uh, a straight up witch, uh, which is cool. But yeah, uh, Olivia Munn's probably he's probably not watching The Predator. I don't think he's gonna watch that movie. <laughs> Not not a lot of people are watching The Predator, but um, it's funny because I, I don't even pay attention to football or the affairs of Aaron Rodgers, but somehow I was made aware of the fact that like apparently her fa- his his family hated Olivia Munn or some shit. I get it. <laughs> uh, she's like uh, Aaron. She's a terrible actress. Um, the uh, she's not the best, but she is. She does have a fan base though, and they go they follow her. Um, but she plays Psylocke, who is a fan favorite character really really popular in the 90s especially um but to see psylocke in this movie i i had to see it in the credits to believe it i was like that's that's supposed to be psylocke like they never do anything even remotely psylocke um but yeah apparently this was supposed to be psylocke you you can kind of tell from i guess the hair color and like the the red over the eye or something but they she never does anything even remotely close to what the character is known to do um, so that, that it was like a strange bit of fan service that probably just shouldn't even be there. Okay. Um, so yeah, then we get, uh, he's just like, hey, you can, you can detect the mutants. Uh, can you find one for me? Uh, and then we kind of set up uh, Mystique is being transported from one facility to the next. Uh, she gets called the B word. She tells the guy <laughs> that calls her a B word that she's going to kill him. Uh, Beast. Yeah, this was supposed to be the the movie's one f bomb, by the way. Oh, really? Um, in the deleted scenes, uh, Mystique is in a a moving prison cell in a like a semi truck convoy, um, and Mystique is changing into different people to insult the guards. At one point, she becomes the president um, and says, "I'm the president. You need to let me go." And then uh, the guard walks up to her and says, "Like, Mr. President, shut up." Um, in the deleted scene is shut the fuck up and it's like ah why couldn't you just leave that in (laughs) if anybody gets to say the fuck it should be wolverine that gets to say it um i want to say that set the precedent for the the pg-13 you get one fuck rule um because that that moment in uh was it first class um is excellent hugh jackman's cameo in that film uh do you remember what i'm talking about I, i haven't i don't know if i've seen that movie it's the first instance where I I noticed a PG-13 use an F-bomb. Because you get the rule is you get one, as far as I understand, um, in a PG-13 film. I think you get a quick boob flash or a quick butt flash and or a fuck. I think that's the PG-13 standard. I want to say you're correct on that. But um, in, in first class, they have the recruiting montage where uh, Professor X and Magneto are going around recruiting mutants. And they approach Logan uh, sitting at a bar, and he just dismissively says, go fuck yourself. Oh, nice. And that's the extent of Hugh Jackman in that film, and it works beautifully. All right. Uh, Yeah. So Beast goes and visits the lab. Uh, He gets to go meet the kid. We find out that, quote, unquote, it's the safest place we can find. That's why we keep the cure here. It's literally a fucking island off the coast of a major, major U.S. city. I think an underground bunker with, like, an elevator that's, like, eight or nine stories would probably be the best place to hide this kid. Not in plain fucking sight, but I guess the facility is supposed to be pretty structurally sound, uh, which is why the mutants can't get to it. But still, hide him. They're like, oh, yeah, we got a cure. Kid's here, by the way. Um... 
but yeah, the, the beast goes in to meet the kid. He goes to shake his hand, and his hand goes, uh, it's no longer blue and fuzzy. He's just like, oh, how about that? Um, that's it. That's the whole scene. Um, then we get, uh, then we get, Scott! Oh, he is headed to Lake Alkali. I think he has a little, little t- not a tussle with Wolverine, but Wolverine, like, stops him, like, Hey, you're you're being a little shit. Maybe we should just forget about her. And he's like, I'm not gonna forget about. I don't want to forget about her. I'm going on my motorcycle. Uh, and he, I guess, because he's hearing voices, he's just like, I gotta go back to Alkali Lake and see what's happening. Um, and I kind of forgot that's how the second one ended. Till we got back to the to there, I'm like, oh, that's right. She's trying to keep the water from coming in, and they just assume she dies. Uh, but <laughs> I do like this. Uh, the voices get even stronger here, and Scott's having trouble, and he's just like, Oh, stop it! <laughs> you just, just, oh, stop it, stop it, stop it. And there's like a boom, big bang uh, flash after a maelstrom kind of starts in the middle of this lake, and uh, fucking Gene just kind of pops up. Yeah, uh, he he throws a hissy fit, and uh, he he unleashes his optic blast across the lake like he's in five minutes of this movie you got to have him shoot his laser beams uh, at some point um and then gene emerges from the light and a uh, nice bit of continuity i guess she's still wearing the x-men suit nice. like she's still in uniform and also her hair is way longer i misremember her being naked like not them showing her naked <laughs> but for some reason i'm like, well, she, I'm like but i'm mixing it up with the wolverine scene that comes a little later i'm like she was not naked but it's funny you mentioned that because i misremembered at least one detail about this movie too um and that was i see i remembered you seeing scott after he dies spoiler alert did you watch the did you watch like the extended version like the deleted scenes or anything was there maybe something in the deleted scenes there wasn't anything in the deleted scenes. I just watched the movie straight, and I, I remembered there being like a shot of his like shriveled corpse or something. But my memory of the moving movie upon my most recent viewing of it is no. I think Trevor, what you might be doing is you might be thinking of a different movie, which I actually got the soundbite for this scene because, uh. Scott and Gene, she's like, Gene comes back and says, holy shit, she's like, you can take off your glasses, it's totally fine. And uh, he's just like, no, I'll kill you. She's like, no, it's good. And he takes them off, and she's like, yeah, totally, this is totally working. Uh, and they start making out, and everything seems to be normal, but then... And sucking them dry, that's how! She just starts sucking them dry. I think you might be misremembering when Mr. Burns gets sucked off in The Mummy, and you see his little, his little corpse over there, because this scene when they're kissing looks like when um, Rachel Weiss is kissing um, Arnold Vosloo in that movie. So it might be getting wires crossed there. You might be right, uh, because it is eerily similar. In fact, the, the death spooch that happens here, when you think about it for one second, it's like, hang on. That's not really how her powers work, is it? Um, <laughs> it's, Trevor- it's just like our our pervy director just wanted to have some sexy people smooch in front of the camera for an afternoon. Uh, let me pee, but when I come back, can you please explain to me, what are Jean Grey's powers? You got a TED Talk for that? Because I would sure like to know what her powers are. Okay, so uh, I no, I don't really have a TED Talk for you there, but... Um, I do seem to recall this moment happening in the comics where uh, she has him take his glasses off and she suppresses his powers. Um, But 
Jean Grey is so fucking complicated. She has died in the comics minimum probably like three times. Um, probably most notably as the Dark Phoenix, um, kind of by her own hand uh, in the comics anyway, um, not via Wolverining. Um, but in Jean Grey is a telekinetic and a telepath, so she can do what Professor X does, but she can also move things with her mind. So she can move objects with her mind. Um, the Phoenix uh, in the comics was a cosmic force, like a, a galaxy obliterating force, just like energy force um, that was embodied by like a, a bird, like a flaming bird shaped being uh, that possessed her. Um, in this movie, um, they don't do the cosmic origins of the Phoenix. They have an explanation that we'll get to in a minute, but Long story short, my understanding of her powers uh, in this movie as the Phoenix are just straight up matter manipulation. She can just control matter. So she can transmute things and just have her way with existence, essentially. Uh, So basically she can do anything. In fact, there's a Marvel character called Molecule Man uh, that that's, that's what he does. And the funny story with him was always that he basically it does have godlike powers in that he can control matter, um, but he has uh, a lot of psychological issues, so he he never is able to use his ability to the fullest extent. Kind kind of similar to Iceman being lazy and playful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, uh, yeah. So something happens to Scott, uh, and Professor X is just like, "Oh, I felt a disturbance in the Force. Get to Alkali Lake." Uh, <laughs> oh wait, wrong wrong franchise. <laughs> um, he would have made a good Jedi, uh, like an older like Jedi Council. There's still time. Yeah. There's still time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there is still time. Um, yeah, so they get to Alkali Lake, and I think it's just Storm and Logan, uh, and <laughs> it's foggy. Of course, it's Storm and Logan. Yeah. God damn yeah, <laughs> this fucking true. movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're right. They have it's no- literally just it's just Storm and Logan. They have, they have that whole jet. Nothing to talk about. Um, it's probably the quietest <laughs> ride ever. Um, <laughs> Seriously, that's a movie I wish I could have. It's like so. Are you watching The Wire right now? Or no? Okay. Yeah. How about them cowboys? How about those those cowboys? Huh? Yeah. Nobody said that for a while. Yeah. So. So they get there, it's foggy out, we can see some things are floating, and uh, Storm ends up moving the fog, and it's just like, thanks for moving the fog. There was literally no reason for there to be fog, except to just <laughs> oh, give oh, her something actually, to do. I, I do. I do have one justification for that, and it is so fucking flimsy, but I want to say this is why that's in this movie, because you're absolutely right. That's so fucking pointless. Um, I think it's just there. Uh, so the viewer can understand what's happening when she summons the fog at the end of the movie. Okay. Uh, to, I, to quote, distract Magneto. It's like, that didn't do shit. No. He wasn't even looking the same direction as Beast. Like, he was he was looking the other way. Do we need fog for that? He's like, he's like the pretty one, she's gonna bring in some kind of weather element, so it's not gonna distract him. It's just like, just be on the lookout for something like that. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, they find Jean. There's some stuff floating. They find uh, Scott's glasses. Uh, they're just kind of floating. They can kind of put two and two together. Um, but they get uh, they get her back, and 
kind of got like a, an evil goatee going on right now. That's uh, <laughs> kind of where her character's at. <laughs> she does it well. She does it well. Uh, thanks. Yeah, she, she, yeah. I think this is some of Famke's best acting in the trilogy. Yeah, she doesn't have a silly Russian or Eastern European accent in this movie uh, as a bad person. Oh, but yeah, Kyle, that's a drop you need. Oh, uh, bleach! <laughs> <laughs> It's not bitch, it's bleach! <laughs> I think what I would do is I would get a clip of uh, a mini driver singing that awful song uh, from Goldeneye. He's just a man. He's just a man, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, Lila, take a hike! Yes, <laughs> yeah, um... Uh, that movie's great. Better movie, better movie. <laughs> yeah, so I think we take her back to Professor X, and he's just like, this is where he kind of explains, he's like, when I met her when she was a little girl, she had this, she was kind of a dick, and she had this crazy ability, but we took her, I took her in and taught her how to control and suppress uh, this power, but because it's so powerful, she ended up having kind of a split personality. So what seems to have happened was when she was uh, basically maxing out her powers, uh, trying to help get the plane out of there, uh, her body reacted poorly, and the phoenix basically saved her. Her powers basically saved her, wrapped like kind of wrapped around her, and now she's not in control of this other personality. The other personality is controlling. That was very succinct, and that is... That's about as much enthusiasm as was put into the explanation that Patrick Stewart uh, delivers here. I do like the, uh, like, Wolverine's just like, this is fucking bullshit. He's like, I don't have to explain myself to you. <laughs> I don't have to explain myself, at least of all you. <laughs> just, kind of- yeah, it, th- this was a moment that needed to be, that needed some breathing room, because this is massive. Like, like this, this like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> Baking powder? Yeah. Like, th- that, was, that was quite a lot. Um, and this this serves as the explanation for what the Phoenix is as envisioned in this movie, where, like Kyle said, Professor X basically put in these barriers, these like handicaps on Jean Grey's powers because she is supposed to be a class five, you know, limitless potential mutant. Um, and it's here where we basically Professor X has like a minor heel turn here where it's like, hang on. You're an asshole. Yeah. You haven't been one of those in the past couple of movies, although in the comics, you're pretty consistently always one of those. But in these movies, this is new information. We should probably let that breathe and explore that. But the movie... It- I like I like this in film. There's, It's not so much in Lord of the Rings unless you kind of know the backstory a little bit. Gandalf isn't really... He's, he's, a, he's a good guy, but he's kind of got some... He does some shitty things. Uh, Dumbledore and Harry Potter, he is the good guy, but he does some pretty shitty things. Like, he does some shady, shitty things. It's, I like I like that with the good characters. It's like, yeah, they're good, but they're flawed still. Like, they're not perfect. I, I like that, but I'm starting to get jaded because I, yeah. I uh, the girl, the girlfriend watches yeah. a lot of, <laughs> the girlfriend watches a lot of, like, uh, young adult programming. She she likes you know the young adult like uh, novels and stuff. You know, te- teen angsty teen kind of stuff. And I I tease her every once in a while because I've noticed this trope where virtually any institution as represented in media for young people is revealed to be you know corrupt and untrustworthy 
if the story if the story goes on long enough or it's like the writers run out of ideas for external threats so they decide to invent internal ones in the form of like oh professor x was an asshole the whole time or dumbledore (laughs) was not telling you about this and this and this it's like it's just one of those things i've started to notice like how many stories don't do that these days (laughs) like really um anyway uh, i felt that this sequence needed some time to breathe it's it is altogether way too much thrown at you all at once it is very succinct i will give it that it's just it's like like, whoa that that was a revelation that we really ought to explore yeah um but yeah, then we get uh, Ben Foster with his wings. His Republican dad is just like, you got to get these things cut off, son. You got you to gotta get rid of them. And he's just like, okay, I guess. And then he starts to panic a little bit. And he just, uh, I love I love his little his little stance here, his pose that he does. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I've always maintained, like, Alpha Dog really, uh, uh, thank you again yes. for oh, having you, us watch Alpha Dog. Absolutely welcome, yes. I kind of love that movie. Yeah. Like, like that. It, 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 it makes you angry. It's not a great movie, but there's something about it that's a lot of fun. Yes. For all the wrong reasons. Yes. <laughs> but um, Ben Foster in that movie, re- he that really reinforced this idea that I've always had that he's a very physical actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that movie, like that was the movie where I I came to understand. Oh shit! Ben Foster knows Taekwondo. <laughs> like and and they're going to exploit that on the set of Alpha Dog because unexpected Taekwondo martial arts sequence in the middle of Alpha Dog. Yeah. Um. Uh, and yeah, uh, all credit to the man. Uh, this one cool moment he gets in this movie, he nails it. Uh, he gets some good ab light. Uh, apparently, he busted his ass in the gym for like twelve fucking weeks for like basically this one shot. Um, that's but pretty like I said, standard. He a very... that's, that's pretty standard at this point. Yeah. These days, yes. Um, back in the day, no. You had a bat suit for that. You had oh. you had latex rubber suits to provide the abs for you. But these days, no. It's in your contract. Chris Pratt will not be. He will not have a chubby face if he's going to be Star Lord, uh, Lord of the Stars, if you will. But um, Ben Foster, like I, I think he likes doing this for movies. Like he he finds a way to insert physicality into almost all of his performances. But this is a really cool shot. Like, just him breaking loose from the, the table and spreading his wings for the first time. Basically, the only time in this glamorous fashion, anyway. This is, and then he jumps out the window. Yeah. This is a complete waste of your Ben Foster. This is a complete waste of... It is! It's, it's such a waste. It is! He could, yeah, I know. It's really disappointing, because I really like the man, but he has fuck all to do in this movie. I mean, it's really weird, too. Yeah, give him something with some energy. I don't know if there were... Uh, plans to do more with the character or not but i noticed a weird thing about the the soundtrack for the movie is like his quote theme music in this movie is a is a very very strong recurring motif that accompanies a lot of scenes that he's not in and it's it's so bizarre because it's it you can't not associate it with him in this movie but he does nothing in this movie it does kind of not make sense that they would give this character so much time and cast somebody who's totally capable to play this character and then just do nothing with him like it it doesn't really make a lot of sense unless they were planning like well, this is going to be a five movie trilogy like we're or five movie trilogy five movie franchise we're just going to keep going uh, yeah i don't know well, He's a character that has a lot of history. He's not one of my personal favorites, although uh, Archangel 
who we'll be seeing in X-Men Apocalypse. That was that was like the 90s angel, the edgy angel that like the kids actually liked. Angel, it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. He's a pretty boy. <laughs> but um by the way, trivia factoid, uh Michael Murphy plays his dad and uh, I was telling Kyle you might recognize this guy from somewhere and uh, to me, anyway, uh, he always stands out as the mayor of Gotham City from Batman Returns. Ah, yes, it all came screaming back to me. You're right. <laughs> it's almost time, and I think the thing is on either HBO Max. It's on some platform I have right now, so it, we're getting close to uh, to Batman Returns and the Thing season. But we got to get through Halloween first. Um, yeah. So this is the uh, Mystique breakout. Uh, Am I wrong? Is this truck flip pretty cool? Do we get a truck flip? Yeah, here? yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I think we, we yeah we get some we get some SUVs get smooshed and we get a truck flip. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Pretty neat. Uh, this is where we get Mystique, uh, and then we get some new some new characters. Uh, we get the seven dudes in one. The guy robbed uh, seven banks at one time, and he pops out of seven dudes and he turns into one. I also don't like this guy. I hate his jacket. Uh, they're just like, <laughs> do you like? Do you want to join? I don't even think they asked to, for him to join him. He's just like, whatever it is, I'm in. Uh, but he does get a good uh, male gaze on Mystique as she walks by. Obviously, he's got the jacket for it. Yeah, I would be remiss to if I failed to point out. Um, I believe this is Eric Dane as Multiple Man, uh, aka Mick. Is it McDreamy or no? Uh, he's one of the he's he's one of the great Grey's Anatomy guys. Oh, McDreamy, McSteamy maybe? Mc, no, McDreamy is Patrick Dempsey. No, but isn't there another one like McSteamy or something? I, McDreamy is Patrick Dempsey. I don't know if there's another one. I've never watched that show. He's he's the other he's the other one. Um, basically, he's one of the one of the quote hot guys from Grey's Anatomy. My school is literally like a block away from that hospital where the show takes place, but <laughs> I've never watched that show. I'm not going to watch the show, Trevor. I think it's still on. It is. Oh. I think um, the girlfriend fell into a spell where she was watching it a little too much, and then she gave she called it quits because she said. You know, I think this show is depressing me. <laughs> I think it's on its fourth president. I think it started in the Bush administration, well through the Obama, yeah. both Obama, and Trump, and then yeah, I think it's in the it's in four, four presidents have sat in office. Four presidents deep. Wow, <laughs> uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, and then we get Juggernaut. Uh, it's just like yeah, if this guy gets any momentum going, he can't be stopped. I'm like okay, cool. Uh, Vinny Jones again, uh, and again his CGI. It, it's one of those things. Where it's like, yeah, I can tell it's CGI, but I'm okay with it. Go ahead. It's actually mostly a costume. Oh, really? If not all a costume. There is a scene yeah. where there is a scene where it was CGI. So I just when he's oh, running. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. when he's running and and plowing through walls. Yes, but no, when he's standing around, that's a costume. Oh, it's bitching. Good. Like, it's it's a it's a mu- it's a muscle suit and and pants and a helmet. You know. Good for them. Good for them for doing that. Um, this scene. Yeah, it, it's very similar to um, uh, Mr. Hyde from the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yep, I haven't seen it. Um, or at least also featuring a cast member from those Guy Ritchie movies. It's it was on. Uh, I know exactly which guy you're talking about. I can't think of his name. Um, Jason Fleming. Um, there you go. Thank you. 
But I want to talk about this scene because I think this is a genuinely good scene. Like, this is a good moment in the film. Uh, I don't know how you felt about it. Uh, but we we don't i don't think we know quite yet what they're doing with this kid like what they're doing with this cure kid we do know that they were like injecting people with his juice or whatever they suck out of this kid i don't know if it's blood or plasma i don't really know but they're apparently injecting people with it but the security guard although he got knocked out um he wakes up and he ends up getting the drop on them, and just before he shoots Magneto, Mystique jumps in front of the little darts, and I don't think she was anticipating this, but she ends up getting shot with a cure, and she ends up transforming into a real person. And I remember watching this back back when it came out. I'm like, oh, whoa, dude, that really sucked. Like, it's got to really suck. It's like losing the lottery after you won it. <laughs> it's like, I have this awesome ability, and then, oh, it's gone. Uh, but... I think Magneto's response is just, it's really chilling and really sad. I think it's really good. It's really good, but again, this this movie drops a lot of threads. It drops a lot of balls because Mystique, fan favorite character, has very few lines of dialogue, but has a lot of presence. And you really understand what she's all about just through those few moments where she expresses herself. Like, again, that moment with Nightcrawler where we it's like, oh, She's very militant about, you know, pro-mutant rights and whatnot and staying as she is. So the cure affecting her hurts a lot more than it would, say, Rogue. Yeah. You know, it's like something that it, it deprives her of something that she she holds intrinsic to her personhood. Um, and then Magneto's reaction is, as Rebecca Romaine with black hair is laying on, naked on the floor, he says, you're not one of us anymore, and then he just ditches her. Like, as soon as she's not a mutant, he doesn't care anymore. And remember, like, the way they were positioned in that second movie in particular, it seems like they were very, very close. Yes. It does seem like they're very close, and I think I think that you can tell when he's just like, just like, oh, you're, you're not one of us, and he has to walk away. Like, you can really tell, like, he's destroyed. Like, it was tough. And I think it's just done really well, but go ahead. I, don't, I didn't get that from him. Like, really? To be honest, this is the this is the closest I think you'll get to Ian McKellen not phoning it in, but expressing uh, discontent with the writing, because there's a couple of line deliveries here where it just it just doesn't feel like he believes it, like like he he feels like he, he's doing what's being asked of him, but that's the extent of it, kind of. Mm. So it's it's like his phoning it in is like a million times better than most people's, but. There's a couple of lines here where I'm like, okay, but I didn't get that from this moment because like he walks away and he says, oh, it's a shame. She used to be so beautiful. Um, but what bothers me the most about this is that we don't get any follow-up with her. Like We do see her one more time in the movie, but we really needed to devote some time to exploring what this means to mystique mm -hmm. um but the movie just has no time for that yeah, we don't it, it, there's no time there's no time we have to keep going like the movie has to go <laughs> on i thought it was a good scene i'm gonna disagree i think that his delivery is great uh but you know agree to disagree um yeah yeah but uh beast and potus i think beast is just basically handing in his re resignation uh he's just like yeah for some reason i'm quitting i don't really know why but uh, it's because they weaponized the cure, that's what it was yes like, without telling him about it yeah um and then we get gene and wolverine uh this scene is uh 
this is the consent scene. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's yeah he's basically dealing with a with a, with a drunk person. Like he's just like nope 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 you're not right right now. Hey, you're not right right now. Uh, but uh, I do <laughs> I do like this. Um, she is coming on like a full blown succubus, and she is well aware that Wolverine has the hots for her. Uh, he, I mean, it's no secret, guys. Uh, he's very much had the hots for her. Um, and she starts making all the right moves, uh, kind of uh, turning into her character from uh, <laughs> from Goldeneye. I think I think that might have been a nod. They had her like kind of pull him in with her legs. I'm like, oh yeah, they, I think that was a little. Yeah, she she puts her th- her thighs around his midsection in a very specific way. That's very Zenya on a top like. Uh-huh. And yeah, I do like how he's like <laughs> he kind of at first is like no, but then it's just. Gee, let me think. Uh, it turns into just like yeah, let, let's get going, uh, but it doesn't. I don't really know what um, causes him to stop. Like I don't know if there's a noise. Uh, she does get some serious scratches on him, but he heals really quick, so not a big deal. Um, but something is just like no, this is not right. Uh, is there a noise? Did I miss a noise? Uh, I don't I don't know that there was anything to trigger him to like insist on her backing down like he keeps trying um, to no avail for a while there but um, I do want to point out that she does Ray Ray stands him uh, she undoes psychically undoes his belt uh, I have no gene only Phoenix in my notes <laughs> it's somebody on set I'm sure said that no. okay. because it is very much that yeah, we get the belt coming off. Yeah, race dance. The be- yeah, uh huh. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, yeah lots it, of it's nods. very much that. But yeah, um, like I said, the script was written by extraordinarily nerdy types. But um, <laughs> she she gets butt hurt when he mentions Professor X because he tries to get her to back down, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Whoa, like we need to have Professor X. He can help you, you know." And and she gets ice cold with him the yeah. second the name comes out. Um, and then it gets even worse when he asks about Scott. He's like, what happened to Cyclops? And it's like, he's off doing Superman Returns. I mean, he's dead. <laughs> so, may as well be dead. Yeah. <laughs> and she just kind of comes to and she's like, what the fuck happened? What's going on? Kill me, bro. Kill me. And uh, yeah. And then she like flips back over to Phoenix or he says something again that triggers her and she's just like, eat a dick and throws him he, against he, the wall. He can help you fix it. I don't want to fix it. I don't want to fix she it. blows up the room. Yeah. Uh, carry, carry style. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she blows the door off effortlessly with her psychic powers. Um, and yeah, this actually, we, we do have that dialogue exchange where she is Jean for a second, is starting to cry and asking, like, kill me before I kill someone else. Uh, very similar to like in, uh, the, the aliens thing, whenever somebody has a chest burster about to pop or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but Logan doesn't listen and she escapes uh, the, the X-Mansion yeah, and then I think Magneto kind of hears about Jean. He's just like, oh, she came back, and she's even stronger. Interesting. He has a walking plot convenience in the form of Callisto, who can just sniff out mutants. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, just, oh, she's a level five. He's like, oh, interesting. Um, and then <laughs> uh, Magneto and Professor X go to Jean's home. This is a heartbreaking scene, obviously, uh, because, you know, Professor X does not make it to the other side of this scene. Um, but, yeah, she's basically in her childhood home. I do like, it's kind of funny, them driving into the neighborhood. It's just like, 
the fucking cars are floating. <laughs> I think Gene's here. Um, but yeah, they... So Magneto's goons are outside. Storm and Wolverine are there. And, yeah, right. Um, and then we go in to talk to Gene. And kind of like at the beginning of the film, we're trying to convince her of coming to our sides, basically. Er- Eric Magneto is very much like, you need to join our cause and kill the humans. They don't want us to be mutants. And again, Professor X is doing his whole shtick. It's like, yeah, you need to, you gotta bottle that rage. You gotta just bottle that phoenix. Because <laughs> it's gonna get out of control. Um, and she just fucking goes off and just starts destroying the shit out of shit. Yeah, no, she she gets a little snippy with them mm-hmm. and uh, starts just throwing her powers around and causing uh, the in- basically the entire house to, to lift off uh, and everything in it to go flying all over the place. But now, folks at home, just so we're clear, I don't have any problem with Halle Berry or even the, <laughs> char- even the character of Storm, honestly, but just the sight of Wolverine and Storm being the only representation of, of the X-Men yeah. the x-mans it's like you need to understand like like reading these comics as a kid like we had splash pages with like a dozen plus characters in them like the x-men was always like a, a gaggle of people like there was always a fuck ton of them running around at any given moment they always had like 12 dudes to like screw in a light bulb or some shit and in this movie it's like it's so often just Logan and Storm to represent the whole fucking team. You spent the whole time building up Pyro and Mr. Freeze in the second movie, like them being kind of buddy adversaries kind of thing, frenemies. Uh, And then, you know, Pyro joining Magneto. Bring fucking little Ice Kid to all this shit. His whole thing is just for more motivation for Rogue, as if she already doesn't have motivation. We get that she wants the cure. It's done. You planted it. She's gonna get it. Bring the fucking Freezy kid. Yeah, and just bring other people. Yes. Like, like, really, just, just two people? That that constitutes a fucking team? Like, <laughs> like, Jesus, that's a duo. The buff T-1000 guy. Bring him. Just, just... They, they save all of their action stuff, like, all their action juice for the finale, which was kind of, like, I guess it kind of works. That's one way of doing things if it pays off a little better than it does here, but point is, like, the X-Men are not two people. The X-Men is supposed to be a fucking school full of people. Like, it, it's supposed to be crowded in an X-Men story. But this is what happens when a director and a writing, a whole writing team leave a franchise and, and you're left hanging with nothing, honestly. Because there was a different draft of the script that involved the the Hellfire Club and the White Queen and stuff, kind of similar to the original comics and whatnot that would end up in first class and whatnot. Um, and also we have Cyclops taking a hike, not not yeah. staying with the production long enough for them to do anything of substance with that character in three fucking movies. The character who often is thought of as like the inheritor of X- Professor X's dream and whatnot. Yeah. Instead, that's transposed onto Storm because james marsden's only available for two fucking days so like they they really had very few options but they i don't know i think they could have found a better way um so one character that they could have added in and i'm gonna say his name and then i'm gonna time you you've got two minutes i'm gonna give you two minutes to get through it because (laughs) 
<laughs> Any longer than that, it's going to derail us. Gambit. Go. Gambit. Uh, so Gambit will appear uh, in the next film, uh, in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, Gambit, as far as I know, was actually um, filmed for this film. Uh, they did shoot like a scene with Gambit. Um, but both the director, the writing team, the production crew, like pretty much everybody agreed uh, Gambit was too important to just put in a small cameo because audiences have expectations for Gambit. Um, you have to do him right to the point that like Channing Tatum was supposed to star in his own film as Gambit at one point. That project still hasn't completely been buried, if we're being honest. The people want Gambit. People like Gambit. People like Rogue too, but people like the two of them together smooching um but uh last thing i'll say about that and i've probably gone over my two minutes is that uh, i forgot to mention <laughs> that x-men origins wolverine was in production or at least pre-production when this movie was being made and as a result the studio was stepping on its own toes while it was crafting the scripts for those movies because people had producers had notes coming to this movie saying uh-uh-uh you can't put Gambit in, in, in your Last Stand movie because we're going to have Gambit in our X-Men Origins movie. So you can't do that. So basically, Gambit was an idea that was floated at one point, um, but it was decided, no, that movie needs Gambit because this mo- because that movie's going to really suck, and this movie's only kind of going to suck. <laughs> so we need everything we can get in that other movie. <laughs> okay. Got it. You got it uh, with 21 seconds to spare. Good job. But yes, this is where uh, she destroys everything and Wolverine gets in there just in time to see Professor X just get... <clears throat> he just gets... Ex- ex- yeah, he, get, he gets exploded. Yeah. He splooges. Yeah. Um, and it's, 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 a, it's a nice moment. Uh, it's not... This moment, this movie doesn't have the emotional highs of X2. Like that movie is not quite melodramatic it's actually like legitimately like got some heavy beats to it this movie like tries to it pushes really hard into like melodrama but it never actually like it's never actually affecting and this was like a really big moment that i kind of again the sight of professor x professor x in the third movie of a franchise dying uh, that's a big deal but the sight of logan on his knees crying with Storm cradling him over his shoulders as the only people who give a fuck about Professor X is just kind of pathetic. Yeah. Uh, that's where you need Cy- that's where you need Cyclops, honestly. Like that's where you need James Marston to have a breakdown because he would be the one who would care the most because he's the one who knows him the best. But no, instead we have these two. Yeah. And you could have killed him later in the movie. It didn't have to be here. Like it didn't have to be at the beginning. She could have just like kind of come back, and then yeah, it could have happened a little bit later. Unfortunately, yeah, it it feels a little hasty, and it doesn't help that like the music is trying to do a lot of the heavy lifting here. This is where like Gene's theme really comes to the forefront, probably for the first time in the movie. By the way, it sounds eerily her theme music in this movie, which plays over most of the heavy dramatic beats involving her character, is. It reminds me so much of James Horner's um, one of his themes from The Mask of Zorro, which is a better movie, by the way, but um, better soundtrack, too. But um, the the fight that goes on around the sequence is terrible. Uh, Juggernaut and Wolverine throwing hands like there is admittedly a superb stunt where Juggernaut throws him through the roof and then he falls back down through the roof. Um, 
all in one shot and then he like kicks him through another wall after that all in one shot that was awesome the rest of it though is so clumsy and uh, fucking callisto and storm throwing hands is even worse um the super speed thing is a non-factor like it looks so clumsy and just sluggish and there's no impact to it and we also get that that funky spinning move that storm does to enter the fray that's just like that that looks exactly like what it is it looks like Halle Berry on a wire rig with some lightning effects um Jean after like she drops the house like everything comes back to normal Jean goes with Magneto gets her when when she's vulnerable um and then we get the funeral uh which obviously Logan is not gonna attend he's just gonna kind of watch from the rafters kind of thing um, I don't know if they display it here, but I always got a kick out of his tombstone because it looks like an ancient Roman coin. Yeah, his, his head to the side. I'm like, it just looks like an old Roman coin. Um, but you have the funeral, and then uh, Mr. Freeze goes and hangs out with Kitty Pride. Uh, they go ice skating, and Rogue kind of sees it from the uh, like from her room or whatever. And she's just like, that's it. I'm going to get the cure. Come on, you need human contact. Touch it. Um, she's she's going to get it. And this is where we get a, a pseudo... This is the closest we get to one of our big topics, which is this is the closest you're going to get to abortion, basically. It's something... Um, she's like, she wants the cure. It makes total sense for her to get the cure. And Wolverine is kind of like the father figure where he's just like, She's just like, were well, you going to try to stop me and tell me to go unpack? He's like, no, I'm not going to stop you. It's just be sure that's what you want. Be sure that's what you want to do because once it's gone, your powers are gone. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, a young, young woman going to a clinic to address something that she believes to be burdensome. Yes, very much. Uh, yeah. 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 It's been a great year, Trevor. Uh, then we get uh, Gene and Magneto. They have a little chat. Uh, I do. I like this scene too. Uh, basically, Gene has just got the thousand-yard stare, just really not thinking about much, not really healthy. And Magneto is kind of being that little serpent, that little like, oh, just gonna whisper into your ear, kind of ma- trying to manipulate her, basically. Like, hey, you should be joining my cause. It's way better. And she could see right past it, basically. Uh, he's like, here, check out this gun. You can do whatever you want. And it's one of the guns that has the little cure needles in it. And she's, he's like, you can do whatever you want to it. He's not giving her permission. He's just saying she has that ability. Um, and she just disassembles it, takes the needles, and then just lines them up. Like, uh, I can't think of his name from Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, Michael Rooker, whatever his character's name is. But Yondu. Yondu, like Yondu's little arrow thing. Um, yeah, she just lines them up, and he's like, Gene, 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 stop it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I think you should call her Phoenix. I think that's who's that's who's home right now. Um, yeah, yeah. But, By the way, um, this this uh, there was a reshoot here that I'm curious if you think it would have been better to go with. Um, so what we got here, I think, is the reshoot. Um, so instead of a gun, uh, one other alternative take they had was um, Magneto demonstrating his powers with a. Uh, like just a steel cup that he was drinking from earlier and he says i can manipulate the metal in this you on the other hand can do anything you want with it um and then to demonstrate her power she like crumples the 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 mug into like a ball of light that just starts like shooting energy across the woods and like 
harming the other mutants in the camp and he has to talk her down before they start disintegrating of which some of them start to i think the reason they went with the cure gun instead is because i don't know it it just it's cleaner but the other way actually hints at what happens like what she can do and what she and ultimately will end up doing towards the end of the movie more explicitly um what do you think works better i think uh it's nice to see Magneto kind of shit in his pants a little bit. I think that's a better, I think that's a better scene, and it also kind of puts him in check. It's like, I he's like, I know what you're trying to do, and I don't like it. Uh, and just to remind you, I'm way more powerful than you, and I can do what I want. Uh, I think this works out a little bit better. Um, but yeah, so we got Rogue's leaving, Gene Magneto, and he basically tells her, uh, he's just like, go nuts, like, you can do whatever you want, as long as it's to the other people, not to the, to the, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we get Pyro, uh, I forget what, what, what concludes this, but basically... They're like, we have to make moves. We have to go do stuff now. And Pyro's like, shit, I would have killed the fucking professor if I could have gotten a chance. And Eric has to stop him. Like, listen, bitch, he did a lot for mutants. Uh, you stupid bitch. Uh, yeah, he's talking <laughs> shit. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, shut the fuck up, Pyro. It's like, he's like, I would have killed the professor. I'm like, you ain't going to do shit. First of all, he would have had you believe in you were a 12-year-old girl uh, before you could even get close to him, so knock it off i mean speaking truth right there (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i've never thought of pyro as a as a remarkable so yeah (laughs) that would not have gone well (laughs) uh so yeah rogue is gone uh i think bobby kind of figures that out and then storm sees logan is leaving and logan's whole thing is like i gotta go to find gene like she needs my help like you you weren't down there like she's still there she's still under the surface but she's just being you know pushed aside by the old phoenix there um and that thing yeah and they have a long dialogue exchange here that amounts to absolutely nothing i, I believe i believe that that happened i didn't watch it i just looked up and i'm like L- storm storm is getting on his case because of that danger room sequence she's still nagging him about that danger room sequence where she's like you gotta be a team player logan he's like we fucking won yeah. <laughs> what do you want from me but she's like Are you, you're gonna go hang out with your your crazy ghost lady girlfriend like if you want to go then just go and he's like well, fine. I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm good. I'm pretty good at doing that. I'm gonna do that. And then we get, uh, <laughs> I think we get like just Pyro, and Mr. Freeze. We're just still trying to tease that little rivalry. Uh, and I think uh, Pyro ends up destroying like something at the clinic, like trying to destroy the the little little cure things. And they have a little scuffle, yeah, he, but he does a little. He does a he does a domestic terrorism essentially. Yeah. Um. And now the president's like, oh motherfuckers want to go to war we'll go to war like it, it's it's happening now they're going to start destroying these places yeah we're going to go to war uh, i do want to point out uh, i did like like i said i did listen to the commentary for this film and can confirm brett ratner is a scumbag he's he's kind of lecherous on the mic he's not great to listen to um but i also want to point out that he actually did name drop osama bin laden uh in relation to magneto doing a like a televised message to the masses about like mutants taking a stand i was like oh 
you know, 2006. <laughs> I, I mean, I wouldn't say too soon because, you know, Hollywood was very much exploiting 9-11 by then, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we all lived it. Um, but to put a hat on it like that, I was like, fuck, dude. Like, <laughs> you said the quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. Yeah, we exploited 9-11 for a while. Uh, and there were different branches of that. Um, but yeah, and we get the we get the forest hangout. Uh, this guy... This guy that fucking gets the drop on Wolverine, <laughs> he smells like Wolverine's in the forest. He smells this dude's ass. He's like, there's somebody over here. Uh, and this guy, he throws out little, what are these that come out of his wrists? This, this guy throwing shit, little Spike guy. I think the character's name is actually Spike. Spike? Um, <laughs> are, like, they, are they? I think they're supposed they're supposed to be like antlers, like bone. Oh, okay, okay. I'm like, are they wood? I'm like, I don't know what this is supposed to be. Antlers makes a lot more sense than wood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He's throwing lawn gnomes at people <laughs> that he crafts from within his body. <laughs> He's throwing used condoms filled with rocks. Uh, that's that's what he's throwing out of his. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just got a picture in my head of someone using that as a morning star or something yeah, like a like, ball and chain. <laughs> Oliver Platt from Three Musketeers doing that. God, I love my it's work. It's so stretchy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could get you from across the woods, yeah. and it doesn't even snap. <laughs> wow. It's like, wow, they really manufacture these strong. <laughs> Trojan condoms. Pick them up today. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then so Magneto ends up getting getting Wolverine, and obviously he's just going to control him, and he's just like, uh, yeah, Jean's with me. And now he's like, dude, Jean needs to come back. She needs treatment. And he's like, get the fuck out of here, dude. And literally, he just like throws him through the forest. Um, it reminded me of uh, Evil Dead 2. Uh, <laughs> there's almost yeah. an identical scene, yeah. <laughs> him. I- we didn't get the camera strapped to his chest, unfortunately. You know, the the face up in the camera, Sam Raimi style. But um, they did actually launch Hugh Jackman on a zipline through the woods. It was a pretty spectacular stunt. And uh, the impact against the tree is pretty cool. But yeah, different movie. It is Evil Dead season. Can you please, can this be the year? Can you finally start Ash vs. Evil Dead? This could not be a more perfect time to start it. I'll, I'll ask the girlfriend because I, I think I can sell her on it. Um, she likes characters, so if it has strong characters very strong that she characters. can like and get behind, then then yeah, we'll we'll see. If she doesn't, I'll, I'll I'll tell her you said so. And remember, you're both fans of the Expanse, so she has some belief in your taste and things. So if you if you vouch for it, that might count for something. It's a comedy series, but if she doesn't like Ash, man, that's just that's gonna be tough. That's gonna long life that you guys are gonna have together. Uh, her not liking <laughs> Ash. <laughs> That sounds, that sounds terrible. Uh. Oh, uh, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Ash and uh, Pizza Papa, always gets paid. Um, there was there was a voice cameo uh, while the military guys were suiting up in this movie. Did you catch that? Oh yeah, Arlie Army. Uh, how how yeah. could you not? <laughs> I was actually I was watching it. I'm like, I don't remember him being in this movie because he's not in the movie. He's just voiceover. Um, it's purely a voiceover, but it's it's like one of the most obvious fucking things you could do from a casting standpoint. It's like, yeah, Brett Ratner, I've seen I've seen movies too, like a few movies in my day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Mystique basically tells on Magneto like where everybody's located, and you're right. We needed something else with Mystique. Like she's conflicted about this, or maybe she's just really pissed off at him. Like she feels betrayed. Just something 
with her, just an acting moment. Yeah. Something. Something. Like something where we she gets to express how she feels about what just happened because it's a big fucking deal. But um, by the way, this this president actor, some of the worst line deliveries I've seen in a blockbuster film. Uh-huh. Uh, it, Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. You know who would have... What I needed after that was the whole... Like a, a shot of the whole room looking at him like, what the fuck did you just say? Like... Nobody says that. Like, everybody knows the line, but you don't say it, um, you old kook. So what we needed, and his, some of his line deliveries reminded me of somebody very specific, and as soon as I say it, I think you're going to know exactly uh, who I'm talking about. Ronnie Cox. I think that if you would have had Ronnie Cox play it, I'll be back in time for cornflakes. I think he could have brought like a hey. funny, like a funny, uh, like just a little bit of humor to the character, but not like an on the nose. I think just him as the character would be fun if he was still alive. I would have loved Ronnie Cox. I would have loved Ronnie Cox in this role. Ronnie Cox has played presidents before. He looks kind of Jimmy Carter-ish. He's, he was the president in the fucking uh, Captain America movie from 1990, but yeah this this guy totally fucking sucks even even simple things kyle when they ask him like to to give the the okay on sending the troops in to invade the camp he doesn't say like fucking Dwayne from die hard he doesn't say kick ass he says <laughs> okay send them in that was altogether too many words man just, just like let's do it or something uh same movie uh marshall bell i think would have been pretty funny uh, as the president, if you remember, he was—I think he was Quato. Uh, he also played the co- oh. the cop from Airheads, the one that's on the phone, yes. Michael Richards. Yes. I think he would have made a good president as well. He would have been nervous and twitchy in ways that I would appreciate. Exactly. Like I—I I, I would like to see this president, you know, show some degree of urgency and like maybe get a little hot under the collar or something. Yeah, no, this president's more like if Dick Cheney were a good person. Uh, that's about what this president is. He's just like ruthless. Well, yeah. one of the, what, what's really fucked about this actually is something that just occurred to me now is that the the X two ends with the X Men confronting the president. Uh, it begins yeah. with with Nightcrawler confronting the president. <laughs> this is a different president. So there's been a regime change a and regime. all of the ideas and. Con- <laughs> No, like there's been a regime change and all the conflicts and ideas presented in that other better film are discarded by the time we get to this one to the point that's like, oh, well, fuck, like that none of that applies to this particular character or this particular story. So what are we doing here? Like this this president is he's just a, a warm body. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he doesn't really he doesn't matter do anything of consequence. And he he's very strategically positioned uh, in the film to neither to be of neither side of the argument he's very much middle of the road yeah this is not what you're you... meant you're meant to kind of kind of like this president at any given moment essentially yeah he's a level-headed uh president like he seems pretty reasonable which is not what you want in a movie like this you want you want swinging dick kill him kill him all like yeah <laughs> <laughs> i would love that yeah. because it's a fucking x-men movie the x-men are supposed to be in peril you know um, but yeah, so Ma- Mystique tells on Magneto, and then they send the seal, the send the seal team in uh, to break up this camp, basically. And uh oh, uh, they all start disappearing just out of nowhere. We see the little on um, the little little the computer, it's just like all these little chicken pox are leaving. 
And it's, uh, wouldn't you know it, it's fucking multiple dude who sacrifices his freedom for the cause, because I'm pretty sure they're going to catch him now, uh, which is good on you. Good on you, Magneto. Just use that dude real quick. Um, but I guess let's get to the third act. Let's, uh, let's get to Alcatraz. This is the, this is the, big, the big showdown. Yeah, uh, so we get a bad green screen sequence of the villains of Magneto and his goon squad overlooking Alcatraz. Probably a hasty reshoot just to, you know, serve as connective tissue between scenes. And then uh, we cut to the X-Men's and uh, they're suiting up, essentially, uh, to head to Alcatraz, Worthington Labs. Um, And we see that Angel, uh, who is now part of the school, by the way, there was a sequence that it was only a couple seconds long, but it was kind of hilarious when you think about it, where after Professor X died, they actually like considered like honestly just folding the school, just saying like, well, he's dead. I guess we're done with the school. And then Storm was like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, that's not a good idea. And then Beast was like, you're right. That is not a good idea. We should totally keep the school open. Never mind. <laughs> that's a rash decision. Uh, yeah, let's, let's not do that. <laughs> no, seriously, yeah. that's the conversation. It's all the main characters sitting in Professor X's office, deciding, oh, the old man's dead. We should call it quits. Um, but yeah, they're all suiting up, and uh, we get to see Beast in his uh, in his like vest that was kind of like part of his attire in the early two thousands and whatnot. Uh, so, Doctor Fraser Crane, he's got a vest. And then we get a scene that actually is another. Remember, Kyle, this movie was produced in the early two thousands. This was like from the like batman and robin era onward this was kind of the emerging internet age of media and its relationship to hollywood um so at one point one of the like one of the scripts for this movie actually leaked and a lot of productions are notorious for hitting the panic button when scripts are leaked um anyway uh a lot of the alternative takes in this movie uh really felt like security measures to prevent leaks essentially we're like we're going to do a lot of scenes with two totally different outcomes just to plan around like the possibility that details of the story might get leaked to the public or the press or something um the sequence here when they're about to get on the blackbird the jet uh wolverine has a brief speech uh because uh iceman and and shadow cat and colossus are waiting for him in the hallway underneath the x mansion and uh he has like a hopeful rallying speech here but there's an alternate cut of this sequence where he has like a standoffish like like he he gets into an argument with iceman where he he like he doesn't want iceman to get involved because he's like trying to instill in the kid that like hey you might die today so you might want to really think hard about whether you want to get on the plane um and actually i kind of like that better because this this felt so uncharacteristic of wolverine to be like the leader guy the guy who's rallying the troops it felt like a moment that maybe should have gone to storm but i guess the whole point is that we're trying to have like an arc or something for wolverine where will he'll he'll like step into the leadership role or something but that's like I know that's what the movie's gunning for, but it just it just never feels right if you're asking like if if you ask me. Yeah, I didn't really notice this. I was just waiting for them to get to Alcatraz, so yeah, I didn't really. Didn't okay, well they're, they're pretty much there, but they uh, Magneto has to lift a bridge first. Yeah, and this is pretty bitching. Uh, even rewatching it, like it's pretty awesome, and you're just like, was that necessary? It's like, yeah, it is, because now they've cut off 
access, basically. He's like, we know they're kind of stuck. Not that you can, I don't think you can take the Golden Gate Bridge to Alcatraz. I'm pretty sure it just goes to Oakland. Um, and yeah, so, but it is cool that he does that. Um, I do like the lady locking the car door as they're walking on the bridge. It's kind of funny. Um, and then we get to Alcatraz, uh, and I think we're, we're about to charge. Like, he has a little speech beforehand. These pieces of shit, I don't want you to be mutants anymore. <laughs> uh, and... He like basically gives him a like a charge, go over there, and I think Pyro wants to go, and he's like, "No, no, let the pawns go first. Um, and they they do, and I think the army are sitting there waiting with the little cure guns, and basically the point is let them waste their ammo on the first wave, and then we'll come in and fuck shit up. Yeah, that's essentially the strategy. Um, I do find it ironic that he uses the line in just the pawns go first. Um, when in reality, Ian McKellen had to be taught how to play Jess uh, for the first film. <laughs> but uh, he and Patrick Stewart, apparently. But yeah, uh, we get to see the military has innovated all sorts of nasty tools. Um, they have plastic uh, cure guns mm-hmm. that Magneto can't manipulate. And they also have these like nasty like nail bomb kind of things that they, they lob over them. It's pretty creative and destructive stuff uh, good <laughs> things that americans are great at um but uh in response to this magneto asks arc Arclight, uh to do the one thing that Arclight does in this whole fucking movie and that is clap her hands uh to blow up all the plastic guns that he can't do anything with because they're made of plastic and uh at one point we do get a, a fun quote here where beast uh does a, a oh my stars and garters uh, which is a beast quote from the comics and the cartoon series for that matter. Um, and also we cut to the president for a second where he once again does his stunning delivery of then God help us. <laughs> that, was <a> good, <laughs> like, that, that was a good impression. <laughs> that was really good. I just realized how close that oh, was. And by the way, I was re-listening to Prometheus. Uh, I didn't I didn't give you a compliment on that. You did a really good job on the uh, I like rocks. The Rocks guy, you had a great impression of that guy, and I just... Oh, oh, my pups. Yes. i got to send me pups down the corridor yeah. to, to map out the, the spaceship. Yeah. My pups. Excellent. You did an excellent <laughs> job on that, and I didn't, I didn't give you a compliment on that, so I apologize. Um, yeah. Oh, thank you. Then we get what I'm... From what I've heard has really pissed off a lot of fucking nerds. Uh, we get Vinnie Jones and Elliot Page... Uh, having a moment together where Kitty, Kitty, Kitty Stripes, Kitty, what's what's her name? Pride. Kitty Pride. Uh, so KP, she ends up, she can basically just like go through walls and the ground. Uh, and she like, because if he gets enough momentum, he can knock shit down. But if he's in the ground, he really can't get momentum, but he does get out of here. And then he has the line from a very famous, very funny uh, very funny YouTube video. Would you like to tell the folks at home what it is? Don't you know who I am? I'm the Juggernaut, bitch! Don't you know who the fuck I am? I'm the Juggernaut! Hey. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see that video until after this movie came out, because I didn't even know that that was... I didn't realize that was what was happening uh, in the movie until much yeah. later. There's a couple other choice lines I should have taken from that one. In particular, pimp smack your ass, bitch. <laughs> pimp smack your ass, bitch. <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Charles. Shut the fuck up, Charles. Uh, Shut up, Charles. Shut the fuck up, Charles. No. 
Man, that's got to be up. There is an excellent uh, video of Marshawn Lynch. Uh, I think they're playing against the Saints, and he go. It's called. It was the the run that gave him the nickname Beast, like Beast Mode, because this guy did like a, a commentary of him running. And he's basically, like, he's pushing and kicking defenders off of him as he runs, like, I think it's like 60 or 70 yards from the end zone, just basically knocking off the whole uh, whole back seven. And uh, as he's going in, the camera doesn't catch the angle of it very well when he first goes in, but he jumps and one of the players is blocking it, but he goes up and is holding his, his crotch as he goes in. And this guy goes, here I go, hold my dick. <laughs> <laughs> That was great. And every time I saw him run, I'm just like, hold my dick. Uh, and I'm like, how, yeah, how, like, paper was like, beast mode, beast mode. I'm like, that's not what you're supposed to say when he's got the ball. It's supposed to be hold my dick. Uh, but yeah, I can see that being a funnier, a funnier line from that video uh, in this movie. Instead of juggernaut, bitch, it should have been, yeah, pip slap your ass. Pip slap your ass, bitch. It's one of the earliest examples I can think of uh, where a movie explicitly references a meme, essentially. A meme before its time, if you will. But uh, in the meantime, the X-Men land, by the way. And uh, we get the classic line, hold the line from from Wolverine. Uh, the sight of Wolverine telling a bunch of soldiers to hold the line. It's like, I'm sorry, that that's a Cyclops line. That's a Captain America line. That's not Wolverine. Wolverine is the best he is at what he does. And that is slicing people the fuck up and smoking cigars. I'm insane with anger! Yeah. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Berserker Rage. Berserker Barrage, if you will. He doesn't do that in this movie, and his hair is fucking terrible. I I think I missed it. I think I was looking down, but I think this is the movie where he gets the really good, like, or maybe it's the second movie where he's, like, trying not to kill the guy, but he ends up getting angry and just, like, just gets the dude right in the chest and, like, like gets a good, like, hmm, Les Grossman, like, oomph into it. Um, that might have been the second one, the fridge kill that Nick and I uh, highlighted okay. because that is an awesome moment where he just screams yeah. in a dude's fucking face. It's really good. With both his knuckles just in his chest. Yeah. It's pretty tasty. It's pretty tasty. It's great. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, the the Wolverining, the Berserker barraging in this movie is not on par with the second one. Just leave it at that. Um, yeah. So I think then the uh, the nerd the. The, the level twos that Magneto recruited, they're making their way into the facility. Uh, and this is where Ava Sorala gets killed by the porcupine guy. It's like, hey, what's your mutant power? And he's just like, porcupine? He's like, so you don't have you don't have a power, really? You just you do that? Uh. See, that he does that in Pyro's face to demonstrate his, quote, power. And Pyro doesn't have a retort. Yeah. It's like... No, what Kyle just said is what you say to that. It's like, oh, that's not very special. Oh, that's not very interesting at all. Uh, hey, you're not it's interesting. Like, so it's it's not fun. So it's really not fun to jerk off. It's like okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So let's see here. Uh, take out your old friend. This is where we finally get the showdown of uh, fire and ice. Um, and it basically just looks like a wand fight from any Harry Potter movie. Uh, yeah, basically. Um, I am very happy that, uh, he dies in this movie. Uh, Pyro, great stuff. Yeah, I don't think it's on screen, but it's, based on what happens when Gene goes nuts, I'm pretty sure he's dead. 
Um, but yeah, this battle goes exactly as it should because Iceman is infinitely more powerful than Pyro. Um, basically, they, they have a beam struggle. They have a wand fight, like Kyle said, and Iceman just grabs his wrists, mm-hmm. shuts off his fire, and headbutts him. <laughs> That's it. Feel my dick. I am rock hard. <laughs> <laughs> we do get full-on CGI Iceman, which is something that, you know, it's it, he was a snowman the first time you saw him in the X-Men comics in the 60s. He's always been an ice person from from head to toe. So it was it was expected this would happen eventually. It's amazing it took three movies for it to happen. Trevor, I'm gonna send it to you, but I watch this clip once a month, I think. The opening to Jack Frost, where Michael Keaton is singing in that blues band. Oh my god. For some reason you just reminded me of that. I'm gonna send it to you, dude. It, please please send it my way immediately. Yeah, I got like, you. While we're talking, yeah. I need to see that because I've never seen that movie. I know I know it from the marketing, but I've never actually watched it. First five minutes of the movie? fantastic just just get him in that band playing oh it's 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 awesome go ahead sorry by the way a beat beast gets to cut loose um i uh, that's like the one true gift that this movie gives to us the people uh is the sight of probably not kelsey grammar but kelsey grammar stunt double in a beast costume doing wire i was gonna say the wire work punching and kicking people yeah, I, I just love the sight of Beast going ballistic and Blanca-balling people. Um, in particular, there's a wire gag where he does like a horizontal flip on a pole um, that's stupendous. And I'm not even usually a huge fan of like wire foo, if you want to call it that. But uh, the Beasting in this movie is pretty solid. There is actually a deleted moment where he snap. He Steven Seagal's a dude. Nice. Like, like Beast fucking breaks a dude's neck, but that's not in the finished film. There's also... A deleted moment where uh, Iceman freezes a mutant named Fat, uh, P-H-A-T, by the way. It was the style at the time, you see. Um, and uh, Colossus smashes him as he's frozen, which I think, I think the studio notes were likely none of the X-Men can kill except for Wolverine. Hmm. I, I want to say that was the mandate. That, that we can't have a body count aside from Wolverine because he's the one mutant. He's the one X person who's allowed to kill. Hmm. Um, but yeah, just a couple of notes there. Um, and uh, by the way, Storm is once again having a rematch with Callisto in the meantime. It's equally lame to their first clash. <laughs> it's like, it's, in, it's incredibly lame. And it does end with uh, Callisto being flung into a fence and then Storm electrocutes the fence, and I guess she gets a kill here. So she, I guess other X people can kill. And the one cute thing is that her uh, chin stud is like glow, yeah. glowing hot yeah. um, after she's been electrocuted. It's it's cute, but Callisto is a complete waste of a fucking character in this oh, movie. My feelings are hot. Um, and then we get, uh, we. by the way, we did have flaming uh, car bombs uh, prior to Iceman taking out Pyro. That sounds like a drink um, that'll get you fucked up. Flaming car bombs, yeah. That's like, <laughs> what is what's an Irish car bomb? Irish like? car bomb is half a pint of Guinness, uh, and I think it's Bailey's. I think it's Bailey's uh, Irish cream. And you ever had you ever like a Jaeger bomb is uh, Bud Light, not Bud Light. That's a fucking uh, flaming Dr Pepper. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> So Jaeger bomb. You should see Kyle's face right now. <laughs> I, I was thinking about Jaeger bombs the other day. I'm like, it's been awesome since I've had Jaeger Meister. I'm like, oh. um, 
So yeah, so the Irish car bomb is... Once it hits your lips. It's so good. Once it hits your lips. Irish car bomb is <laughs> half a glass of Guinness with the Baileys. Uh, Jaeger bomb is half a glass, a half a pint of Red Bull, and then a shot of Jägermeister, and then a flaming Dr. Pepper, which we went through a phase of that. It's half a glass of like light beer, like Bud Light, and then uh, some liqueur maybe like a liqueur and then you put bacardi 151 on top and set it on fire and you drop it in it literally tastes like a dr pepper it's uh it's pretty good it'll fuck you up uh it'll catch up with you Uh, again folks i wish you could see kyle's face right now Uh, good memories yeah yeah um uh, so at this point, after all the flaming car bombs have been tossed onto Alcatraz by the combination of Magneto tossing the cars and Pyro igniting them, um, the landscape has transformed into basically the same as what we saw at the beginning of the movie in the Danger Room. Uh, so we have a callback to that where all the X people look amongst themselves and kind of give each other the high sign and come up with a plan. Yeah. Uh, we have some dialogue exchange between Wolverine and Storm that doesn't mean a whole lot where they say each other's lines where he's like, we need to come up with a plan. And she's like, the best defense is a good I offense, which them. is what he said earlier. Yeah, like I said, the writing in this movie is not on the same level as the previous two movies. Not even close. That's uh, And I think the cast is aware of it. It's also one of the dumbest sayings in uh, sports. It's really stupid. Um, it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> but the plan is, is the, well, how the plan is executed. Uh, we distract Magneto long enough that Beast is able to get the drop on him, and then they inject him with the cure, basically. Few, few of the needles. And it's... I feel bad for him because, you know, it, it's tough because Magneto, like, yeah, he's very much an advocate for mutants, but he's also stepping on the heads of these people. Like, he's very much indifferent to killing a lot of these people. It doesn't really matter. It's just, like, overall he wants to win the war. At what cost? All these other people. Uh, but, yeah, you just feel for him because it's just, like, it's been his identity for so long. Uh, but at the same time, he ages, it's like, some besides like wolverine like these people just age like they're gonna die like professor x was getting up there eric is getting quite up there he's gonna be dead soon like well at least it happened now like in your golden years like you can just kind of chill in the park and play chess for a while i mean what were you gonna do really at this point once you win like what were you gonna do a different movie with a i don't know more introspective script would have explored that like i think that would have been interesting because that is the reality of of any movement is that it will be inherited by the young like it it won't be carried by the the generation that births it forever like it does have to be handed off at some point and this movie touches on that by having you know the two torchbearers professor x and magneto taken off the table but it just kind of does that without exploring it um but yeah this moment is is well acted by ian mckellen by the way the diversion is Storm pretends she's helping by making some fog at Wolverine's request. That that very much felt like a okay, Jimmy. You want to help make dinner? What well, you, you go chop these onions that we're not going to use mm-hmm. <laughs> while I go do some shit outside in the grill. Um, and uh, Iceman and Pyro they fight each other. Uh, Colossus does another fastball special by throwing Wolverine at Magneto, um, which is you know the most obvious threat. So Magneto is fixated on Wolverine. Um, and then Beast stabs him from behind with the cure. And it is it is a good moment. 
because it, it means so much to that character very similar to mystique mm-hmm. it's like it it is his identity and remember too like this is the same character who um they did show his uh his concentration camp uh, tattoo on his forearm again in this movie just to remind you of yeah. of the legacy of this character um and then uh the battle is won for just a second uh, and wolverine's like gene it's all good like come come get some um and then uh, unfortunately the peace is broken by the military reinforcements arriving at the island and just just opening fire on anyone they see and uh gene reacts very harshly to this and she goes apeshit yeah. uh and just starts she goes tetsuo from akira basically <laughs> like this it, the movie turns into akira for a second <laughs> um basically she goes nuts and starts obliterating everything around her and everybody takes off running uh military and mutant alike um i did notice uh ian mckellen has a this is like the one line de- delivery that i was thinking of when it comes to like half-heartedness we have this close-up of him saying what have i done yeah <laughs> It's like, it's like uh, that doesn't sound very Magneto like. No. <laughs> it would make like that felt like something he was asked to do that he probably disagreed with. I feel like he would have just walked away in shock. Like he just would have like laid there for a bit, and then I think he just would have like just walked, just kept walking, not looking at anything that's happening around him. I think he would just just go. Um, but now we have to get. Now we got to get to Gene, uh, and. I think I, I think Nick probably explained this to me at the time. It's like, why is Logan the one that has to do it? And it makes sense because she can basically just break anything down. He's the only one that can regenerate. Like he's the one that has the the quick self healing, so he's able to get closer to her. Am I am I correct? Is that why he has to do it? That could be right, but my my interpretation, and I did think it was extraordinarily clunky that immediately wolverine looks to storm and says i'm the only one that can stop her like he just knows Mm -hmm. he's just like i'm the only one that can stop her and then he says storm go help everybody and she just like flies straight up into the sky never to be seen again (laughs) um my interpretation was actually that um i don't think his powers have anything to do with it like i think it's i don't think his powers are anywhere close to being able to withstand anything she throws at him like she can like in the comics the phoenix force can obliterate galaxies like like and she's shown to be like basically destroying alcatraz island seemingly effortlessly here um my interpretation was the emotional connection yeah prevents her from from ripping into him like she's harming him but she's not going full bore on him specifically um, I do think it's <laughs> a little presumptuous on his part to assume that that connection exists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Chinese bamboo is very strong. Um, yeah. Wolverine's bones very are very strong. strong. Yes. <laughs> that's, what was, that's what I was getting at. Um, I like your explanation better, Kyle. His, his bones are too, his bones is too strong. You can't kill him. Can't kill him. <laughs> uh, but I mean, 
I think <laughs> the combination of the two, it, it makes enough sense for the story. But yeah, yeah, she is in straight up crazy mode. Like she is, she is just fucking murdering and destroying. And there's a cyclone. Some of yeah. these glamour shots of her are spectacular. By she does way, look pretty, pretty scary, like pretty spooky in some of these. Well, and the the hair, the hair light, and like the set construction, and the the very subtle, like not so subtle, but like the the makeup effects that they put on her are excellent like it, it it all looks great it's just in the it's just in this movie <laughs> great great casting by the way i don't know if this was the plan to have her go bad uh in the series but she's like she's very good at playing both like she's very good at switching between like oh yeah like i'm a nice person and i'm i'm, I'm, I'm good and everything but she can also be like intimidating uh especially her moment with uh, magneto earlier she surprised me. There was one moment in the house uh, when she tells Professor X to get out of her head. Mm-hmm. That I was, I had not, I had not seen that from Famke Johnson before, and uh, that was legitimately impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Logan's basically just like, you gotta, you gotta control it, Gene. You gotta, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta control it. I'm not coming to kill you, but you gotta control it. <laughs> I'm just getting closer. Hey Russell, won't you put the flashlight down? Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he manages to get up there, and she has like a moment where she kind of like gets out of there, and instead of saying "kill me" this time, she says "save me," and that's exactly what you know Wolverine needed to hear. Uh, and yeah, yeah. The, the, he's doing a good thing by doing this. Yeah. Like he needed that reassurance, and he gives her a, "I love you," and then snicked. Yeah. He, um, could- by the way, the the whole march. Up the platform to get to her with him steadily being disrobed. Apparently that was filmed with him in the nude. Nice. Uh, so Jackman junk for everybody around. Nice. Um, yeah. But like something about like John Powell's like choral score, like like the the, the orchestra is going nuts and there's a choir backing it. It's like it's super over the top. It all made me think of like a cheesy romance novel cover or something. Complete with him stabbing her and going no. Do you, I don't know who the camera operator was, but do you remember that scene in uh, AVP Requiem where the girl is taking off her pants, or maybe she's putting them back on, and then they have that very creepy lingering Dude. shot? Yeah. <laughs> do you think that like after like it wasn't even they didn't even do it on purpose? Just like they got through shooting this scene with him and and the guy's just like. Yeah, you shot his dick. He's not even in the frame. It's just, it's just his, it's just his <laughs> torso and the top of his quad, like the bottom of his quads, basically. You got nothing in the shot, and the guy's like, "I didn't even realize I did that. I thought I, I thought I got him in the shot." Nope. Roll it again. <laughs> it's like, is the computer's malfunctioning? <laughs> the, 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 the computer-controlled armature. It's, it's, it's it has a mind of its own. <laughs> All right, we're gonna do this again. Sound on. Okay, roll sound. Take 53. <laughs> <laughs> no, <Nope>, cut. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, Hughes, Hughes just going, I could do this all day. There's not even film in this camera. Um, <laughs> but yeah, got him, coach. Uh, he, he gets the drop on her, and uh, it all stops. All the water goes back into the ocean or the bay. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then I think we, uh, I think we go. I quit watching at this point. I think we go back. Uh, <laughs> I just needed the money shot. Um, but we get back to the mansion, I think, and this is where 
we learn that Rogue got the... She goes up and, like, touches Bobby immediately, which I was really happy for. Her. I Like, back in the day, I'm just, like, when I would watch this, I'm like, I'm glad that she went through with that because she was definitely one of the people that needed to get rid of her power. Yeah, it, I mean, it makes... I, I guess it's a story for the character. I know a lot of the fan base was deeply upset by this because Rogue is one of those characters that's like, yes, that makes sense, but you're not supposed to do that with that character where her... She needs. She's like Captain Kirk. She needs her pain. Yeah. Um, but um, they also filmed an alternate version of this where she doesn't take the cure. Interesting. And they have the same conversation with different reactions. So they they were prepared for that. But as it stands, it's I guess it's a it's a wrap up. But uh, Anna Paquin really got the shaft when it comes to her role in these in these films. Super important in the first one kind of important in the second one totally an afterthought by the time you get to this one and then she was removed from days of future past until you buy the special edition blu-ray <laughs> um yeah they really did her dirty she's gonna be on uh true blood after this so she she's gonna be on a good good series well no, she like she it. already had a fucking oscar by by this point yeah. and it, true blood was very successful and a pack one's just fine it's just when it comes to the x-men and the character of rogue really 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 dropped the ball um but yeah uh jimmy uh leech the character that removes other people's powers that are in proximity to him he is shown to be at the school who storm is now headmaster of because i guess sure uh and uh beast is now a un ambassador and we get a kind of a shitty shot of uh logan just like the camera just pulls out and just like logan's squinting and looking out over the balcony and it's like it has no emotional quality to it. It's just a shot of Hugh Jack. It's just a, it's just a ending shot to a film. <laughs> like it, it holds no meaning. Uh, there's also an alternative ending for Logan where he goes back to the same bar where he was fighting in the cage uh, in the in the first film. Also, a terrible sequence that has no emotional substance to it whatsoever. Like I said, this is an ending, especially from an aesthetic standpoint. It just, it just doesn't fucking mean anything, especially for this character who was just shown to have murdered the woman he loves. No. It's like, that's not how you end that character's story. Have him drinking. He likes to drink. Yes. Have him drinking. Yes. Yeah. Yes, or riding off on his motorcycle looking upset or something. Like, just not this, but the shot pulls out and into the sky, and then we see angels flying around. By the way, he saved his dad at the Alcatraz battle. That was his only contribution to that whole scene. Uh, and then we go down to the park in San Francisco, and uh, we get to see Eric Lencher, no longer Magneto, just hanging out alone, lonely old man in the park. And I actually do like this closing shot. Uh, it, it's a nice shot. I don't know if it's a it's not an ending to this story really but um basically it's him reaching out at a metallic chess piece and then like for one frame you see it twitch and then snap to credits it's like yeah that's that's an ending yeah uh, and then there is a post credit sequence though kyle oh you go ahead please uh so kyle had actually mentioned this earlier about the uh i forgot about vegetable it. <laughs> i forgot yeah, about see the see <laughs> Uh, so we did get introduced to Dr. Moira McTaggart uh, via a video that Professor X was showing the kids in a classroom at the very beginning of the movie. And basically he's talking about ethics and uh, the idea of, I don't know, messing around with 
a human body that lacks a consciousness. Um, and basically we go to that place where Moira McTaggart, a very important character from the comics, can't go into it now, way too much story. Um, the human vegetable, uh, the catatonic person in the hospital bed, speaks to her in Patrick Stewart's voice. So it basically he shot his consciousness into that empty vessel. Mm-hmm. There's your ending. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Never to be spoken of again because the X-Men movies would move in a totally different yeah. direction after this. Going back to the beginning. Yeah. Which was the smart move. These these characters are too old. Hugh Jackman, Professor X. That's why Logan was the better ending to the uh to to these characters, like these actors playing these characters. Um, could have done with some Ian McKellen in that movie, but that's fine that they, yeah, but oh well. Yeah, I mean, Day, Days of Future Past is a, is a a fine experiment of combining two different corners of the same franchise, like combining the casts of two different iterations of the same franchise. It's a fun experiment in that way. It does a decent job of juggling all of its moving parts. Um, but yeah, that's it for X-Men The Last Stand. Um, this movie is A-OK. Yeah. That's kind of it. it. It's it's not going to blow your mind in any way, but it's not really going to offend you, aside from if you think about the director. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, di- it's digestible. It's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's how I would classify it as well. It's a, it's digestible, disposable superhero entertainment. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess it's only going to get worse from here, Kyle, okay. because X-Men Origins Wolverine is next up. Um, although I, I say that, and th- that one might have some ironic entertainment for us, because it is bad, probably worse than this movie, but it's bad in a, in a way that could possibly be entertaining. Okay. So maybe I need to hold on, hold back on saying that. So um, yeah, uh, that's a wrap for X-Men The Last Stand uh, from the year 2006, uh, directed by Brett Ratner. Um, in the meantime, folks at home, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other uh, Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias in the form of the Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as the Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Bitcade. So fucking Google, Google it. Google it. And that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time, you stupid bitch. Did he say making fuck? Don't you know who the fuck I am? I'm the juggernaut. Hey. hey.